And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it's my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing extremely well. It's great to see you well lit, well uh, in high <laughs> definition. I think along uh, with myself. 4K, baby. It is 4K. It's also a reminder. Oh, I got to shave before each show. That uh, I, I ran into that when I did the show with Dane the other day. And I was like, whatever. I'll just roll into this, roll into this episode. And we use, posted that on YouTube. I was like, ah, that's right. Got to gotta prep all this stuff again. We're, we're live and full color again. We're in HD, 4K, whatever you want to say. But I'm doing awesome. We're doing division previews, which is, some again, some of my favorite shows to do because it's great homework. But also, it's really fun to like get that kind of final snapshot before we set sail on the season. So I'm excited to get into the first one today with what I consider the young division uh, because of all the kind of quasi expansion teams and moving teams. What it's a like generous way to describe it. The young division. We were not division. going to start with the AFC South. We were going no. to start with another division. Our recording schedule is kind of thrown out of whack. That's fine <laughs> because there is a ton to dig into here. We're sickos who enjoy, I think, some of the uncertainty and some of the new yeah. faces and all the moving parts of the AFC South. And that's what we're starting today. We are starting our division previews about I mean, since as long as I've done this, when we've done the division previews, we kind of crammed them into the end of the month right before the season. We were doing one a day. Don't think that was the most effective way to do that. So we're changing how we're rolling them out this year. We're going to be doing them over the course of the next month, partially because we're going to turn each one of these into their own individual YouTube. So if you want to look at this and the conversation with that's team specific, that has some graphics to it that you can see us talking, all of them are going to be available on YouTube for every single team from now until we finish up right before the yeah. season starts. So just a heads up for those of you listening on the podcast feed, if you want to consume these in a slightly different way, we are kicking off with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the current favorites to win the AFC South. They are minus 155 to win the AFC South, which is kind of <laughs> wild when you consider where this team was a year ago. And let's start with that. Just how far the Jags have come and just, I guess, the mindset around the Jags has come. Over the last year, this is a team that around this time last season, I think you wanted to pick them to win the division because so there badly. were some underlying factors and we thought there'd be a huge bump with Doug Peterson. But even in the most optimistic of terms, it was hard to do that. It was hard to say yeah. this team could win the AFC South. Now they're the decided favorite to win the AFC South. And I think a lot of people, me included, has real hopes for what they could potentially look like giving some of those contenders in the AFC a run as soon as this year. So it's all happened very fast for the Jaguars, but I don't think that most people that have those sorts of aspirations for this team or the view of this team are really getting too far ahead of themselves. I even going into last year, it was I, I, I talk about this usually with personnel or something and going from, you know, crap to average and like just bad to average is a huge bump. And I considered Doug Peterson like 
at least he's a competent coach. That's what I went to last year. It was like, he's not Urban Meyer. And that's a huge bump for this team. And it turned out, oh yeah, Doug Peterson's pretty damn good at this offensive play calling stuff. And he's a pretty dang good designer as well and has a feel for his personnel. So even though I was glass half full about this team because they just didn't have Urban Meyer. <laughs> that was really one of the big bumps. And also what I, my belief in Trevor Lawrence is Doug Peterson was even better than what I anticipated, which is really cool. I, I love a good offensive mind and also a unique one. Like you see some Andy Reid with this stuff, but he does different. He has enough of his own personality and enough different chemistry with how he does things. That's just, it's nice to have a different offensive feel when so much of this has become kind of a there's one meta that's kind of taken over the league. So it's kind of nice to get that different feel. But well, man, what's interesting just, about that is that yeah. so talking to people there when I was down there a couple of weeks ago, Doug obviously had time off. So he got fired yeah. in Philly and then he has the, the year off where he's studying everything that's happening around the league. And he brought Press Taylor with him, who was on those Eagle staffs. And then he was on the Colts staffs with Frank Reich for a yeah. couple of years. And then he went to Jacksonville with Doug. But Press and Doug were really the only two people who were in Philly. So all the things that – all the ways they used to call plays, all the ways they used to describe things, they kind of threw all that out. Mm-hmm. And they really started from scratch with their own version of what the Jags offense was going to look like. And a lot of people say that. They're like, no, this is the Jacksonville Jaguars offense for 2022. Right. But it's always based on something else and even the language is based on something else. The Jags threw all of that away. They started from square one. They literally started calling things differently. So different pass concepts – Doug would not – he wouldn't know what they were called. He'd be like, wait, I thought we were calling – you. why are you calling this that? And so that it's that's how new it all was. Yeah. And there are certain elements of it. Two things really stick out in my mind. This is getting a little bit too far in the weeds, but I thought it was interesting. One, all of the motion. The mm-hmm. Eagles were very stagnant when mm-hmm. Doug was in Philly. It's just how, kind of how they liked to play, how the quarterback liked to play. So they really introduced a ton of fast motion because it was happening around the league and you know, with their personnel, they thought it fit. So that was a huge departure. And two, Rich Scangarello was an assistant on those Eagles teams near the end. And it was kind of one of those too many cooks in the kitchen yeah. situations where he came from the Niners tree and it was just one more different thing they were trying to do in Philadelphia. and They never really figured it out, but they had exposure press and Doug did to some of those ideas. And so they brought a lot of the keeper movement game to the Jags with Trevor because yeah. of his, his athleticism, they didn't really use a lot of in Philadelphia. So it's not just that Doug was a good play caller going back from his time in Philly. It's just that this entire coaching staff kind of reincorporated a lot of ideas or introduced a lot of ideas yeah. that they weren't using before. So it felt really fresh. And I think you yeah. could feel that when you watched the Jags last year. Absolutely. There, this coaching staff has a lot of guys I even know, like from my time, like with the Raiders, like Bernie Parmalee is the running backs coach. I know him. They just signed, uh, signed like he's a free agent, but they just brought in Nick Holes, who was the UNLV offensive coordinator. He was a longtime Raiders assistant. So he's been a totally bunch of different offenses there. This is this year for Nick Holes, but, and then even like Richard Angulo was with the Ravens for a while. Like they just have a little, all these kind of different minds there that just, you know, Okay, even if they only use 5% of it, that's 5% difference than other systems that you might see throughout the league. And I think the the player that I've said encapsulated what this offense was about was Evan Ingram. And totally. how D- Doug Peterson used Evan Ingram, and I've said this before, is totally different than how he was used in New York. And was using him horizontally. Hey, he's fast, but he doesn't just have to be down the field. Let's use him as a yard after catch guy for a tight end and just using his skill set kind of perfectly, him and all the other weapons that we'll talk about in a second. But I think the usage of Evan Ingram, why he had a career year, why he actually looked like a 
a solid player that was drafted so high was how Doug Peterson used him. And I think that's just perfect. It's just like right then and there, right that guy right there wasn't asked to do what he was asked to do in New York and looked like a bust. Now he looks like a good player because Doug Peterson put him in a position to succeed. And that's just one guy. That's all the skill guys that they had, which they've added to. We're going to get get to it, but also the quarterback. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence using his legs out on movement throws and everything, but also th- this guy has a very quick throwing motion. So let's use the RPO stuff. Let's use sprinkle in some of that quick game because he can do it all. So it's just understanding personnel. That's good coaching. And Doug Peterson did it in, in flying colors last year. So I, I'm very excited to see this next step with a, everybody kind of gets a better feel. Hey, this worked, this didn't work, this worked, this didn't work, and just really tighten and really make this offense take an, another leap, even if they might face a more difficult schedule this year, which I can talk about in a sec as well. The offense felt fresh from an approach perspective, and I think that mm-hmm. it led to a fresh way of seeing this team. They felt yeah. fresh down the back half of last Absolutely. season, especially. After the bye, they were sixth in EPA per dropback. And they felt like one of the best, most efficient, most exciting offenses in the league. And I think that now carries over to this year. Yeah. You think about the success they had last year and kind of looking forward to this year. What is the biggest question you have kind of about the 2023 Jag- Zach- Jacksonville Jaguars offense? What What's the next step for this offense now that they have a true dude as a number one receiver in Calvin Ridley? I, I just, this was a legit top six, top eight passing unit and really offensive unit especially the second half of the year but really just overall they actually stood up their their number underlying numbers were pretty good even though the second half of the year you really saw kind of the fruits of their labor but i want to see what the addition of calvin ridley looks like like what i think this is going to be magic i think this is going to be a weekly check-in even though i this team has been a weekly check-in for me for a couple of years now a couple of years ago it was a sicko one last year it was like morbid curiosity that turned into a really optimistic curiosity and then now it's like i'm excited to see what it is the last year yeah christian kirk had a great year as well and evan ingram already mentioned him and then zay jones they had marvin jones as well it's a top six top eight unit with a bunch of number twos and number threes as their pass catchers now they got a number one. Uh, I, what I think is going to be a top 10, top 12 dude in Calvin Ridley. So I want to see that next step. I want to see what that looks like. How does Doug Peterson use Calvin Ridley? Um, even in the time with the Eagles, Alshon Jeffrey was the best receiver that they had in the with uh, in Philadelphia. And he's a totally different type of animal than Calvin Ridley is at the receiver position. So what does that look like with a true outside guy that can win one-on-ones? How much they use them, which I think will be a lot, and how that trickle-down happens with the rest of the pass catchers. Because I'm really excited about it. I'm really optimistic about it. Can't wait to see it. And that's kind of my main question and hopefully my main answer as well. It's pretty clean, which I, I appreciate. When, uh, yeah. you look at the ja- when you look at the Jags offense from last year, this is the number that really jumped out to me. So they threw the ball to the concept side over and over and over again. If it's a one three by one formation, you got three receivers yeah. on one side. They're side. it's smoke and mirrors. They're they're throwing mm-hmm. the ball to the trip side because they're manufacturing touches for these mm-hmm. guys and they're manufacturing guys getting open. So last year, the Jags were twenty sixth in the NFL and the number of their targets that went to the isolated wide receiver side. The teams below them are the teams that didn't throw the ball. It's the Bears, it's the Falcons, yeah. it's the Titans. Yeah. On yeah. a percentage level, 25% of their targets went to the isolated receiver in their offense. And that's the X. Whenever you hear me talk about the X, that's the isolated receiver. Sorry to cut you off, but that's yeah, that's that's why this is going to be exciting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the lowest rate in the league. You'd have to do and, some back of, back in the napkin math. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was the lowest rate in the entire NFL. So now 
you drop in a really good isolated receiver. It's just yes. so clean and easy to imagine based on what their offense looked like last year. The best case scenario for me, and a lot of people have talked about what he can maybe do as a vertical receiver outside mm-hmm. the numbers. Totally understand that. And Trevor's such throws such a good level two and level three ball outside of the numbers. Like not all quarterbacks in the NFL have that arm. It's no. one of the best things he does. So you can imagine that pretty easily. But what I'm thinking about is just the layups that they can take over there. Yeah. The best case scenario is Stefan Diggs on the Bills. How often the comebacks and curls that you saw, yeah. when he would threaten vertically, and Josh Allen just taking free money outside the numbers yep. in those one-on-one eight, ten, matchups. 8, 10, 12, 8, 14, just exactly. over and over. Yep. And you don't have to manufacture that. That's nope. just pure talent winning out, and it's an easy decision for the quarterback. So you combine that with all of the stuff we saw from a creative standpoint and yep. – a pretty projectable sec- next step for the quarterback, which I don't think is unreasonable based no. on the way he played in the second half of last season. And based on the skill position players, the play caller and the quarterback, we are cooking with gas. If yeah. this thing clicks into place in the right way, I had them fourth in our top 10 offense rankings. Yeah. This is why just and because this sixth. idea, it was, it's so easy to talk yourself into. Yeah. It's their quartet of pass catchers is it's nice. They have some nice synergy. Like, like you just mentioned, Calvin Ridley on the outside is going to be, he is just an exceptional route runner. Like just truly, like you said, all those isolated routes and it's not the big body X like a Mike Williams where it's just like, he's just posting up on guys, drop stepping and getting in the post and getting that 10 yard. He's getting the ball pinned on him. Ridley has that, but it's a little more nuanced, but then Watch him run out routes. Watch him run corner routes. Watch him run those comebacks. Everything down the field with Matt Ryan and his weaker arm. They, I mean, they still had magic on the outside because it was just the timing. Trevor throws with that timing. Who has been my comparison for Trevor Lawrence? A supercharged Matt Ryan. Yeah. So it's a great ooh, call. That's ooh, that's a lot of fun. But then Christian Kirk is a vertical and intermediate slot guy. That's nice. Evan Ingram's your horizontal yak guy. Zay Jones. Who was kind of he was their number two receiver essentially last year. It's like now he's your basically your number four pass catcher. He's a big body zone beater, can work in the red zone as well. So it's just just nice skill sets overall. And I, I like that a lot. And of course, the Trevor Lawrence love. I, I think he's you I you put it in a great way. Is he gonna have that seat at the table with the big boys, with the elite elite guys? I think he's definitely knocking on it already. And I think he's gonna take that step up. He is so much fun. And just so and I'm so glad we do these because I get to watch another game to kind of just go like just juice my brain a little bit. It's refresh your memory for sure. It's hard not for me to waste two hours on Twitter to like just clip a whole bunch of cut ups of Trevor Lawrence just making some just dude throws. All right. So and let now, me play devil's advocate yeah, for a minute. Absolutely. Because do it. he's not there yet. All right. Yeah. So where does he need to be better than he was last year? Because there are still areas of his game where there is a gap yeah. between him and the big boys. So rather than just writing this in, mm-hmm. what actually needs to happen for him to close that gap? Pushing the ball. Uh, on the outside would be the number one thing. He has that in his arsenal. I thought it was like kind of like, was that some of the personnel? He did later in the year. Um, I think that's where Ridley will come in as well. Yeah, it was a lot of scheme stuff work. again. It's like when they're they're doing slot fades was, to Christian Kirk when he's lined up inside because like it's just a matchup thing. It's not we have had. the dudes. They're right. they're all manufactured. And and that's kind of that's that could be the potential difference. It's the scheme that's what Calvin Ridley does, or our true number one guy, a true number one X does, is that so much of what Trevor did last year was the one to two to three. It was where the the concept told him to go. Sometimes you just want to break glass and just go. This guy's going to win. Like when you're talking about Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, that's why you, that, they always have that option when you're in a trip set is, okay, you can take your one-on-one if you like it, 
or you read the read out the trip side. That's kind of like a standard read for a quarterback. Well, if you don't have really a guy out there, I have Marvin Jones uh, as my number one guy. Yeah, I'm not going to take my isolated receiver. So I would say just a little more aggression in that path, but he is an aggressive quarterback, but I want to see him take those isolated throws. I want to see him push the ball down the field and also just a little bit of some pocket kind of holding on to the ball. <laughs> I don't want to see the Dante Culpepper, like, you know, fumbling the ball every single time he gets hit in when he's in the pocket. That's I my think biggest concern. It's yes. just ball the, security and looseness. How's he playing the mud? That, that was, yeah. It was becoming a thing. It was when he had crappy weather, it was kind of getting a little scary. He ended up having some games late in the season. I was like, okay, it's not, not totally a thing, but how he does in kind of the muck and, and maybe some muddy situations when it's not great weather. Those, that's really what I want to see, but. He's damn good, guys. He's he's a fun, fun player and a good player. <laughs> I mentioned this on the offensive show. They had 29 turnovers, the third most in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They were 17th in red zone scoring rate. It got better in the second half of the year. Yeah. Some of those boneheaded red zone interceptions got wiped Hit out. some dumb ones. And that's the only... Just get out of your way, man. Just yeah. get out of your way. Don't beat yourself. And I think if this team avoids beating itself a little bit more often, especially yeah. in certain areas of the field, that's another spot where you could see the offense take a step forward. Uh, their coaches have talked about this. They've been pretty open about it. They've been, they were bad in short yardage rushing situations last year. Yeah. They're 28th in power success rate, according to Football Outsiders. That's third or fourth down with two or a few yards to go. And now they have Tank Bixby there as kind of a bigger body back, hopefully, because Travis Etienne was just not getting it done in those moments. 29th in power success rate, and then 31st on runs to the running back in short yardage. So not wow. taking out QB sneaks. Take so out they were Trevor, yeah. Yeah, so taking out the QB sneaks, but it was 30 – however, however you shake it, they were bad in short yardage, and they really were. So I totally agree. That's where Tank Bixby comes in. It's just as kind of a nice kind of sprinkling of him on short yardage and maybe on third down. Are we hand-waving the offensive line maybe too quickly? I think they lose Jawan Taylor in free agency. He goes to Kansas City. He's their starting right tackle last year. They mm-hmm. draft Anton Harrison in the first round to replace him. He's going to be their day one starting and, right tackle. And real quick with Harrison, I did like him, but I thought he's a he was a year away from what I think. I think he was more of a projecty type of tackle than a that guy Oklahoma offense. It, it's a big gap between that and the yes. NFL. And even if he had some plus pass protection traits, yes. it's going to be a projection. He's a traits guy. Yes, and I think they're excited about him, but. Mm-hmm. It's an unknown quantity until we put the pads on week one. Absolutely. So that's a question. And now the left side of the line, Cam Robinson, their starting left tackle, is suspended for the first four games. They have Walker Little, who was a spot guy for them last year, to step in there at left tackle. But now the left guard situation is kind of all over the place Mm -hmm. because Tyler Shatley, who started there for most of the season last year, he has a heart issue. He is not playing right now. And Ben Birch, who was the uh, presumed starter going into last season, he's still on the pup list. So there are enough questions about the line, mm-hmm. especially with the interior issues potentially cropping up now, where I'm like, man, am I just too quick to overlook this because I'm getting so excited about all the other aspects to this offense? I, I'm i with you. I My note on this, I wonder if we were going to touch on it, was I'm not on, as sold on the O-line as maybe others are. Um, and I think even Brandon Scherf, who's still a good player, some of his reputation's doing a little bit of carrying still. Like He's more good than that kind of world beater elite guy um i've seen him get beat a couple times like it that used to be like a <gasps> you'd never think that with brandon scherf but it's like he's had injuries crop up year in year out i think it's more of an okay to solid unit that injected a little bit of youth but the, it's not a great unit which is sometimes that will hold hold teams maybe ceiling back or even their floor back a little bit so i'm with you that i think some people are just going oh yeah they're fine and i think I think that's the right word for it. They're fine, but that's not good. And it's one injury away from being like, ooh, this is a little more questionable. And hopefully this is where Trevor Lawrence is kind of a 
pocket movement kind of comes into and he life. He gets rid of the ball so quickly. He's so consistently quick. shown an ability to make his offensive line look better. This isn't yes. someone who's going to compound offensive line issues, and I think that's important. Well, yeah. we're we're, we're going to get to yeah, it, baby. I, I bet we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Trevor, I think had the second fastest time to throw in the league last year, yeah. and Brady was number one, and that honestly shouldn't count because of the way right. that Brady was playing at times last year. So the falling fact that Trevor was <laughs> the fact that Trevor was getting guys. rid of the ball that quickly at this yeah. stage of his career when he is willing to take some shots, I think says a lot. One yeah. final note about the offense I wanted to mention. This team was number one in the league by a lot in EPA per dropback on third down against man coverage in the second half of last season. Talking about those scheme touches. Yeah. They did such a good job with you know, different bunch sets and rub routes yeah. and mesh and just they could really do a good job a of manufacturing of getting guys open in those specific yeah. situations. Teams played man against them at a top 10 rate on third down last year. Interesting. That doesn't compute. They were so no. good against it. I wonder if they're going to see less man coverage in some of those situations this year and what happens. Do you have answers when you can't scheme those completions against man? So just yeah. one thing to note because I thought that was It's a great point. That's a really good point because, I mean, just even think of the first half of the Chargers playoff game. They were bait, they were baiting Trevor because they're showing man and going into other looks. It was, he threw got, inter- that interception. interception. They, they, dro- they showed man. They dropped into zone and he threw that pick to Asante Samuel yep. on mesh. Threw it right to yep. him. Right to him. And so like that, that's, that's a great example of kind of like, but that, oh, it kind of speaks to Doug Pearson that, cause usually in man, it's like find your best matchup. That's, or create a rub. So the fact that they were successful without a Calvin Ridley kind of speaks to Trevor <laughs> and Doug Pearson a lot about what they were doing and find the matchups that work. If you don't give him the answers to the test, if you make him read out zone coverages and it's not easy for him in those situations, that's going to show how far Trevor's maturation has yes. come. That, that's yes. a really important question that defenses will present and then an answer about where he's at getting to the defense this is going to be i think what determines their ceiling this season because this was a bad defense last year like an actively bad defense they finished 26th in weighted defensive dvoa and there are some things that we can get into and some personnel changes maybe that can make us feel Mm -hmm. a little bit more optimistic but what is your biggest question heading into the season about this defense who's getting after the passer that that's that's number one. Uh, I think for this unit, especially with an offense that might be damn good and playing with some leads, they're going to have to defend the pass. So who gets after the quarterback? They had three players last year with a pressure rate over ten percent. One of them is with the Titans now, and the other one's coming off a late season Achilles injury. I, it's goddamn it! That's, I was going to mention the exact same thing. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but. Those are the guys that finished second and third in pressures last year, and they're both probably not going to play. <laughs> or one's not for sure not going to play for the Jags, and the other one's probably not going to play until maybe December. Uh, and I would say the one guy that was number one is coming back, and that's Josh Allen, who did play well last year, probably his first time on a, a good team, and you could see some a little bit more juice out of him. But they need their former number one pick, Trevon Walker, to step up. He has to look like his pedigree. Has to. Um, the flashes I thought were too far, too few and far between. Uh, as a rookie, I was hoping to maybe see a little more, a little bit at the end of the year, but he's kind of a tight end killer at this point in time, but they need him to develop. They have to, we have to see more. You have to live up to that pedigree because if he doesn't, it's a little scary. You know, Arden Key's not there to kind of create some funky looks and, the, and this defensive unit was getting after quarterbacks for a stretch last year. So they had the third highest pressure rate in the NFL last year. That season. surprised me. I know they were fourth in quarterback hits and 20, yep. but they were 22nd in sacks. They only yeah. had 20, 38 sacks. So typically, you think, oh, man, 
if the pressure rate starts to line up with the sack rate, can this, can this defense maybe be better than we expected? And can the front be better than we expected? The problem with that argument is when you take out two of the guys that Correct. created the pressure rate. And, and that's what anyone. Arden Key and Dwayne <laughs> and added no one. The, this team had very few resources this offseason. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go out and get anybody outside. The ways they used those resources were re-signing Devon Hamilton, their nose tackle, mm-hmm. re-signing Roy Robertson-Harris, and signing Evan Ingram to an extension. That's it. That's how they spent their money this offseason. So there's no outside reinforcements coming, and you lost a couple of the guys who contributed to what your defense looks like getting after the quarterback last season. Yeah. So and that's a big question. Big question. Uh, I mean, but that's – they are betting on their number one pick emerging. That's – I mean, I get it, but it's just scary for me because it's – you got to see some proof of concept. <laughs> you have to see a little bit of like a, a move that he's shown in the playoff game or something like that. But he was less productive as a pass rusher on a person at basis last year than Cleveland Farrell. Oh, I – He's he's gonna be my answer for a different question. So I As, maybe, I think we have the same answer for a different well, question. So we'll okay, get, okay. We'll, we'll save well, it for that I'll, I'll in a second. It. I save it. Yeah, I got plenty of stats for him, so I'll save it for a sec. But uh, just talk about the rest of your defense. The DB room is, I would say, intriguing. Uh, Tyson oh, Campbell, that's, but that's after ki- that's that, kind. that's kind. After that, they uh, are so thin. They are thin. so thin. The, so the and, optimistic case, in my opinion, yeah. about the Jags secondary. When they made the change last season to put Trey Herndon in the slot, correct, and yep. they moved Darius Williams outside, yep. after they made that change, when those three were on the field together, their pass defense success rate would have been top four over the course of the entire season. And when those guys moved into those roles specifically, mm-hmm. that was the best version of them. Talking to Mike Caldwell when I was down there, he said, yeah, Trey just, Darius just sees the game better on the outside. We initially thought he, he didn't play in the slot for it's us. It's a different that, animal. That wasn't it. And he, he yeah. sees the game better on the outside, and we're comfortable with Trey in the nickel. That's fine. Trey Herndon is a guy who's been on the back half of rosters for most of his career. So you're betting on half a season of this working and thinking you know, it's the disco stew meme, which is like, all right, well, this now we're good. <laughs> like it's just, this is just we're gonna keep making <laughs> profits on this. But even if you feel comfortable about that group of corners, there's yeah. nobody behind him. Nobody. Nope. And there nope. no reinforcements came. This team spent its early draft picks on offense. <laughs> And not on defense. I know. So the amount of of improvement and progression you need, not only from Trayvon Walker, but from Devin Lloyd, from Mm -hmm. a guy like Andre Sisko, potentially, these Mm -hmm. guys who are young pieces within that defense, you're banking on that intensely and trying to take a step forward. And I just think it's a kind of risky bet. Because it's not just one guy that needs to step up. Now they have they have a guy at every level that needs to step up, meaning defensive line, linebacker, corner, essentially safety as well. That's all right. So say you need four guys to step up and two step up. It's like cool. Well, that means two guys didn't step up. <laughs> so that means you still have the two holes. So when you're that's your bet, and that's what had me hesitating. And this is a unit that actually received a ton of luck last year as far as drop passes. They had this. They were the second luckiest team. And defending drop passes, basically opponents dropping passes against them. So it's like, and you're still weren't great, and you're still getting a lot of luck. Woo, that's that's a little dangerous. Your division's a little tougher this year because of what they've invested in. So they just need to be more disruptive. They have to. They have to. I think this offense is going to be able to ball control. They'll get explosive plays. I think the offense will take care of itself, even if we have some question marks with the line. It's just like the defense has to find disruption, and it's like, who are you point at that? Who are you betting on to emerge? And it's a little scary right now. I mean, Devin Lloyd who had a great first month of the season, got benched last year. And that's, so, that's scary as well. Apparently, that's just one of those moments where he hit the rookie wall. 
And it was the week to week preparation, which is kind of getting on top of them and the schedule and all of that. So I'm encouraged about his kind of prognosis Mm -hmm. because he could do it. You saw the flashes where he could do it. And then it started trickling off as the season went along. So in year two, you're a little bit more comfortable. You've been a pro. I mean, this stuff is, I think, can be overstated. But again, talking to people there, it seemed like that was the biggest concern. So hopefully now with one more year where he just kind of understands the rhythms of an NFL season, it's not like he doesn't have the capacity because we saw him play really well for stretches early last season. Yeah, he needs it. (laughs) Well, that's what has me a little scared real quick just with Lloyd is that there's there's kind of some segment of of kind of when he was a prospect that were like, Oh, he's like Micah Parsons. Cause he can rush the passer. And he was like, he's like a below average pass rusher. And they're asking him to do that. It's like, let's keep his, let's keep his box small. Let's keep it. You know, let's, let's yeah. limit his ask. So it makes me a little scared that they're like, no, we're going to have him rush the passer too. It's like, ah, oh, that's, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul there. Like I think even it's also if he a does- bad blitzing team last year, they're bottom three yeah. in EPA per dropback when they blitzed. So even yeah. if you want them to maybe manufacture more pressure this year, that wasn't a good answer last year. Whew. For each of these teams, we're going to try out a couple quick categories here at the end. We're going to do an X factor for every team, a guy who you feel like it kind of pushed things one way or the other for them this season. Who is that guy for you with the Jags? It's Javon Walker. I don't think there's any other answer. It has to be him. He has to step up. There are so many hopes rely on him if they want to be the team that I think they did. And I mean, I think we both got some numbers. I'm ready to whip out some of these. He was kind of, he ranked sixth. Among rookies last year with 200 more pass rush snaps and QB hits per pass rush. It's the same as Logan Hall and George Karloftis. And we saw, you know, where those guys were drafted. Logan Hall was, you know, and the second round. Karloftis was ended the first round and was a rotational player. Uh, he was middle of the pack in quarterback hurries amongst the whole league. 126 overall in QB hits per pass rush snap of the whole league. Anyone with 200 more pass rush snaps. So it's. He needs more juice. <laughs> we have to see it. The only highlights that we saw last year was him beating the crap out of some tight end in a run game. And I think he is he's going to be able to do that like and be a tangible player there. But that's not why you get drafted number one overall. No. Um, we haven't seen any production from him out of college. That was kind of the Georgia defenders, which, by the way, I think there's going to be a theme throughout these shows that we do where I go, I'm going to wait for a Georgia defender to do something. All these guys that we've heard about for years and years, like one of them's going to do something in the NFL. Like, otherwise I'm going to start having a stigma. It's going to be like a Penn state running back in the nineties. Uh, but they, but he's one, he, we have to see more. We have to see more moves. We have to see just something, a bend out of you other than just your strong, long bull rush. Um, but that he's the X, he's the X factor. They need him to be a guy. Doesn't have to be a freaking top elite guy, but just something, something out of him this year. You could maybe say Anton Harrison just because he's going to be starting for them. But mm-hmm. I, the answer is Trayvon Walker. Yeah. The problem with the Trayvon Walker discourse and about the measuring of Trayvon Walker's career is that there's going to be a direct comparison to a guy who's already been better than him. Mm-hmm. Aiden Hutchinson was good by the end of last season. Yes, he was. So it's not like, oh, we needed a pass rusher and there was just no one else there. A guy dire- the next pick was a pass rusher and the next pick might be a much better pass rusher than he was. It wasn't was. like some small school guy. Like when Khalil Mack came out, it's like, well, he's Buffalo. So we don't know the competition. No, nah, you know, guy Heisman finalist. The How Michigan. much better <laughs> would you feel about the Jags defense right now if Aiden Hutchinson was on this team instead Way of Trayvon better. Walker? Way better. That's Way tough. Better. Yeah. Yeah, there's proof of concept. This guy was actually productive. Like as a, even if the first half was a little, eh, it's the second half he was a real dude. So yeah, absolutely would feel better. Breakout player to watch on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who you got for me? My joking one is that it's 
uh, Calvin Ridley coming back as a guy. Like, where, where people go, you oh, can't yeah, do you're that. Really, I, I'm you're really disallowing it's you not, from doing it's that. It's not. My, my one is Tyson Campbell because I think people that know that he's a good player, but he has no accolades, no kind of national recognition yet. So I think more of the national kind of bandwidth where the common fan knows, oh, they have a good corner. And his name is Tyson yeah. Campbell. He could be an That's, all-pro player this year. He has that yep. level of ability. I said easy Pro Bowl caliber player already. And so I think the you know it's usually a year delay. And I think now he's going to have that breakout where people consider him a breakout. He's a damn, damn good football player and already one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Calvin Ridley was talking about how he's just trying to go up against them every single time he can in camp. That's and awesome. one of my favorite one-on-one reps that I've seen traveling around Calvin Ridley ran kind of like a double, a subtle double move, like stop and go on the outside and how smooth Tyson Campbell looked and just sticking with him all the way down the field. I was like, man, that guy is just truly Long. built different, like truly yeah. built different. And he moves so well. He's just yep. so fluid. He, he's a very good player. I, I'm interested in what Andre Sisco is going to look like. Yeah. Year, year two, he obviously he was a punchline in year one. It was, mm-hmm. the, he was the guy that Urban Meyer didn't know his name. And he's a safety for this team, and I, I just think that he's had a couple really great games. The game, first game he played against the Chiefs when they played in the regular season last year, he yeah. was all over the place, plays really hard. So year two in, in a real adult defense, kind yeah. of being a full-time player, I think he's somebody that has a chance to take another step as a third-year guy. And again, the types of players they need to take yeah. steps forward for this defense to be what they want it to be. That's a good one. This is where you, Jack's fans, I think you wanted your number, former number one pick to be, uh, in mention the breakout, the breakout player, but I think we're still, still a little bit away from maybe seeing that. I, I want to see it maybe second half of the year, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, all their players. Jags over under is nine and a half. We are stupidly going to be picking the over unders for all of these teams. Nine and a half for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You going over or under? I'm going under, uh, slightly. Like wow. nine and eight. I am I think surprised. It's nine I know. Uh, it's more just the betting man in me right now. The under at nine, the under nine and a half is plus one twenty five. It's a little more, a little more juice on it. And the over is at minus one fifty. But just overall, I think, I think of this team as a nine or a ten win team. So it's flip a coin, and I'm going with nine today. And it's not because I, I I'm. I got so much Jags merch. I got so much Jags stock from the last from this last twenty uh, last twelve months. But I'm just trying to. Be realistic about where where I'm at with this defense. So I think of nine and eight is where I'm going to go with right now. I get it. I understand that. I'm going over I just, the yeah. division. I think the division is better. I think the division is better than it's being made out mm-hmm. to be. And we're going to get into some of these other teams, but it's not still not a good division. And if they're a top five offense, which I absolutely think they can be, I still I expect them to win ten games. So yeah, I'm go- I'm going over. It was hard when I went through each one of these teams. It was like over, over, over. Okay, we we, we got to think about this a little bit because <laughs> I talked myself into it. Also, though, playing a first place schedule this year. So they got you know they got the Ch- they got the AFC North. They got the Chiefs. Aren't they, they playing the know. NFC South too? Though they are playing the NFC South. So yeah, that is I, that's, the, the that NFC helps. South plus the NFC South. I feel good about those ten wins. Okay. I, again, famous last solid. words. Famous last words. I'm but, sure I'll feel a little stupid about it when they're like in four my and head. 10. I view them as a nine or a ten win team, so it's kind of that's it's just whatever one day you want to go, whatever side of the coin you want to bet on. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right, let's get to the Tennessee Titans, our 2023 preview for the Tennessee Titans. I don't really even know where to start with this team. I'm fascinated by their offseason. Yeah. It really seemed like they were willing to move up to three for Stroud if he had been there, that they were shopping to try to get in that range to take a quarterback. They wanted to come out of this draft with a quarterback come hell or high water, it feels like. They traded a 2024 third to move up for Will Levis. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to know why. Why did you need the guy right now? You knew you were probably sticking with Tannehill this season because even if you had shopped him quietly in the offseason or made a phone call or two, there probably weren't a lot of people knocking down your door about it. So you had to go get a guy, and I guess maybe that's because you want him in year two by next year? Because I don't think Levis is going to play this year unless something drastic happens. Yeah, some bad happens, yeah. So maybe you want him in the building, and then so he's already in year two next year when you turn the keys over to him potentially because you have this kind of young core on defense that you've already committed to. So you wanted to maybe fast track the sort of retool, rebuild. I, I don't totally get that. The only guys they've really committed to financially on that side are Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry. Kevin Byard, they already asked to take a pay cut. He's going to be 31 next year. Christian Fulton's a free agent. It's just kind of messy. I was talking to another GM about it, and he was telling me that it feels like they tried to hop back on the train without it ever slowing down. Like That's what they tried to do. They're like throwing their luggage on it as it's still moving through the station. And that's just difficult to pull off. That's kind of what it feels like they did. And as a result of it, I just don't really know what to make of them because there are aspects where you feel pretty good about it. And mm-hmm. then there are other areas in the team that are like in deep rebuild mode. So yeah. they're just kind of confusing and it's difficult to pin them down as a result, at least for me. And then they go and sign DeAndre Hopkins. It's, uh, well, that's yeah, another very, one where it's like, all right, yeah. we're, it. we're, we're trying to compete right now. It's like, oh, okay. well, it's a two year deal. So he'll be yeah. around for Levis next year. So. It just feels like they're trying to do two things at once. They have their one foot in two different worlds, yeah. and that's really it's, difficult to do. They're the Colossus of Rhodes team. They're just one of the two feet straddling way, way wide on two different avenues right now. But that's 
I'm with you. That's how I feel. You look at the defense and you're like, ooh, that's a that's a damn good defense right we there. We both they, picked they, them I, to be to finish ninth in defensive DVOA when we did our top ten defensive show. Good about it. I'll talk about them in a sec. But that's how this offense feels. You look at it because there's certain position units on, <laughs> on that offense that are nowhere close to being playoff caliber and how they're built to win. They still have Derrick Henry there. I mean, it's just it's a very, very confusing kind of timeline that they're on right now. Even the argument for, okay, we want our quarterback this year. Okay, if Levis does have to play this year, but with that offensive line in front of him and everything that they kind of the question marks that they have on that offense, probably not going to win a lot of games if he is does have to start. And it's kind of knowing next year's draft class and the quarterback draft class is like maybe that's not the my worst question. Thing. Why did you need one tank. now? Yeah. Why did you need one now? Well, they were never going to tank. They're never going to no, tank never, with Vrabel, and they're, it's hard to tank with Tannehill. He's yeah. he's too good he's for too you to good be to really bad. <laughs> Yeah. So if you couldn't move him in the offseason, if no one was willing to pay for him, you're like, all right, we might as well stick with him for another year. Why did you need the quarterback now? I, I, I just don't totally understand it. And again, maybe the know. argument is we want him to be able to hit the ground running next year, rookie quarterbacks, having him sit for a year. Mm-hmm. It'll, his ex- development or his the production we can get from a second-year guy is just better than it's going to be from a first-year yeah. guy, even if we can pick one in the top 10 because we were so bad. But then they were going to never be that bad. So it, I, I understand it. I just think that, again, it's difficult to straddle it these is. two things in the way that they've tried to. So yeah, it really let, is. Let's talk about the offense. What is your biggest kind of question that you have about the offense heading into 2023? I don't know if it's a question more of a statement. It is how long I'm going to be holding my breath every time this team has to drop back to pass. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> worrying, worrying about Ryan Tannehill's health. Um, but really my main question is, uh, what is the identity of this team? Is it just going to stay the same where it's Derrick Henry and the play action unit off of that, which I think it will be, but that also goes into our discussion of what is this, is this team competing? Or are you trying to build to something new? Why do you go inside DeAndre Hopkins? If that's the unit you're building, because even his skill set, even though he's a damn good player still is not the yak guy. He's a, he's a, drop step ball winner on the outside. So it's just, it's that confusion kind of leads to like that. We just started with our first segment leads to kind of my offensive confusion. It's just, I think it's a confusing unit right now. Uh, just breaking down like the kind of units um, they're going to be pound the rock to Derek Henry. How many touches can he take? Can he still take another 300 plus touch season? He had 380 touches last year. God. I mean, you know, that's what they're going to do this year. There's no question that they're going to ride him. But then the backup they drafted, Tajay Spears, who I do like, I've compared him to Devontae Freeman, the old Falcons running back, where it's kind of, he's an undersized, like loves contact and love, like just every run could be his last. But that's kind of scary as your backup. If you're worried about Henry taking 300 touches, you're going to get another undersized, I would say 200 poundy injured type of guy that's explosive and everything. So again, it's, it's a little scary. That's just a little scary. And then this offensive line, you look at it like I do like I almost called him Skarsgård. Uh Skaronsky. <laughs> I almost did. I almost did just out of habit. But I, I like him because their first round pick from Northwestern on off the offensive line. And why I did like that draft pick was what then one, they needed help on the it offensive line. Yeah, I, it was necessary. I don't necessary. know how you could justify going another direction. No. There oh, there's rumors they were going for uh JSN. I was like, what are you guys doing? Uh but, but I, two, I think that the guy they might have wanted if he had fallen that far would have been Jalen Carter. Oh and that's e- even if that had happened, I <laughs> hat that, on a hat. <laughs> if even if he had fallen that far, you're going to walk into this season with the offensive line that you have. And I know. so last year, the line was a mess. Okay. It was mess. an absolute mess. Terrible. 
Taylor Wong gets hurt two games into the season. They're trotting out Dennis Daly as their starting left tackle for the entire year. Nicholas Petit Ferrer was a third round pick that they were starting at right tackle for the entire season. And but the interior had their two best players. Mm-hmm. They were so hurt on the offensive line in 2022. Typically, you would say, well, they're going to be healthier there this year. They'll get better production out of that group. Maybe not so fast because they got 24 combined starts from Ben Jones, their center, and Nate Davis, their right guard. Ben Jones is not on a team right now. He's just deep into his career. He's injury prone. So he's not even around anymore. And Nate Davis was signed by the Bears in free agency. So even if they were hurt for part of last year, you still got 24 combined starts out of those guys. And they were your two best linemen. Dennis Daly is no longer your left tackle, but you signed Andre Dillard in free agency to a weird contract where it's starter money, but it's a pretty cheap deal. And the reason for that is that no one else was willing to sign him to be a starting lineman for them. He came from Philadelphia where they've developed linemen at an unreasonable pace over the last 15 years. Including a guy that never played football before. (laughs) Even Jeff Stoutland couldn't get him to a place where they felt comfortable about playing him. So you're going to do that? Their offensive line coach has never been an offensive line coach in the NFL. He came as an assistant three years ago. He was the head coach at Wagner before that. So there's so many different moving pieces with that group that even if you look at what they had last season and say, oh, they'll probably be better, I don't think that's necessarily a guarantee. Petit Ferrer suspended for the first six games. They brought in George Fant for a workout, maybe to potentially sign to be their right tackle, but then he signed with the Texans. It's rough. And I don't want to look at it on paper and just say, this will sink them and make it reductionist like that. But it's hard not to. It's hard not to look at the offensive line and just say, how can you have a functional NFL offense with this group over the course of an entire season, especially with a quarterback who invites getting hit? Right. Oh, who just sits in there. I call him, he's the the mortar launcher. Like he just stands there, ready, aim, fire. Okay, reload, reset. That's how Ryan Tannehill throws the ball. And it worked when that kind of quick hitting play action offense that they had, where it's one, two, three, five, or one, two, three, four, five, ball out. But now I don't think he even gets his fifth step. I, I love that you brought up all the starts that they're missing now. Like it's like, if you look at it, they paid Andre Dillard, like he's their second best lineman. It, like, I mean, if you, it's a rookie and Andre Dillard are like their two notable linemen. I'm not going to say Dan O'Brien's skill. There's a very I, I real know. chance that Skaronsky is their best lineman from day one. He's never played a snap in the NFL. And I, yeah, they signed Daniel Brunskill to be their right guard, a, a lineman that the Niners were holding on to their hats the entire time he was in their starting the lineup. The entire time. He had to start out in necessity and they just they were terrified of every – he actually played okay last year and that was the – okay – just flashes of okay in an offense that was super conducive to hiding blemishes of an offensive lineman. We talk about that all the time with the Shanahan offense. It's it's a scary unit, <laughs> and especially scary not in a, like, a, oh, man, they're dangerous, but scary and like, oh, my God, they're dangerous to Ryan Tannehill's health. Like I, I did like the the what I was going to say about the Skaronsky thing is because of his versatility, this team made sense for him. Okay, he might start at guard. He might have to end up being the right tackle this year. He can at least has that versatility to start in the best spot. But it's a lot better when you have three, two, three other tangible starters as opposed to him being the best guy. Because now it's like, all right, where can he stop the bleeding the most as opposed to where he can make us the best unit? So it's it's scary up there. And that's what just kind of limits – it just limits how high the expectations you can get with the offense, even if you like a couple of the guys. And the skill position players are intriguing. The collection yeah. of them is intriguing. Who knows yeah. how much Henry has left at age 29. You know, he's carried the ball 1,250 times over the last four years. That's the most in the league. He missed half a season. Mm-hmm. And he still has more carries than anybody in the league by a wide, wide margin. And he's coming off 1,200. 
1,250 carries over the last four years. That's insane. Yes. Like, and he's 29 years old, and he's coming off a 380-touch season. Hopkins like when you is hear 31. those 90s baseball pitchers that pitched 150 pitches in a game, and you're just like, wow. And it's like, he still does that. <laughs> it's it's from a different throwing. era. This, this it is, really it is, is. You know, It harkens back to a different era. Hopkins is 31. There yeah. are multiple teams talking to them about him as a potential option. His numbers, if you look at the GPS and some of the burst, and they've gone down. He's just oh, not moving God. the same way. And even if you can tell yourself a story that his game will age well, it's still something that you have to think about. And yeah. Burks in year two, he had some flashes last year, and now he's you're kind of your supercharged number two, which is probably mm-hmm. the best role for him. Mm-hmm. And Chigo Conco, who we get into, I think is an intriguing player. Yeah. But even if you take the most optimistic view of the skill position players, it's still hard not to look at the line and be worried about the offense. Absolutely. And I do what I do like. Well, even Hopkins, when he came into the league, he didn't test well. So it's not like I had a discussion with a a basketball guy. uh, He's with an NBA team. And he was talking about we were talking about like, oh, you know, this guy's game age as well because he's skilled and everything. And he goes, you know. Whose games age really well? The best athletes. He goes, the Vince Carters of the world that can play for 20 years because they start at a 150% athlete to decline to a 90% athlete. Like, it's like, those are the guys that age well. It's a very good point. It is. I know. And I was like, yeah, that applies for football too because I'm a sucker for that. It's like, oh, he's got that old man game. It's like, you still need a little bit of juice (laughs) because if you're running a 4-9. How long Ted Ginn played? Forever. Some of those guys that are just are speed demons, and that's how they made their money. They could play for a long time. Even Julius even like Peppers late, played forever. Peppers as, as a, a hyper athlete. Yep. Even like a late career, like 49ers Randy Moss. <laughs> like was still like a number two, number three. Like he was like an okay role player because he's a freak. <laughs> so let's ask you this. If you're yeah. terrified of the line, which you should be, and I, I am yeah. as well, how would you build the offense to mitigate some of those concerns up front? Boot and play action your ass off. That that's it's got to be a run. It's going to be a run first team anyway. So I don't think that's very confusing. It's what we've seen this offense under Arthur Smith. Um, I don't think I think that pocket has to move though. I think a lot of those play actions that like Arthur Smith did before and even Todd Downing did. It's the play action you're still center in the pocket. Yeah, I'd say you got to get him moving. Tannehill is a good athlete. He's a big good athlete. He's just not creative as a thrower. He's a point and shoot guy. So get him just moving a little bit. Just you got to get him bootlegs, a lot of side to side throws, get the ball out. Um, it's going to be, I, you have to create, you're not going to be efficient throwing the ball. You have to be explosive though, to, to make this work. Um, Cause I think there'll be efficient running the ball just by design and Derek Henry just falling forward for four yards because he's that tall. Um, so I think that's where you're going to get a little bit of bar lifted there, but you got to get some play action in there, but it's got to be play action that moves the pocket. And it's touchdown to check down. I don't think you just, you, I don't think you're going to be very creative, but I think it's got to be br- brutally explosive as well as efficient on the on the on the ground. And you need to be able to run the ball at some have clip. To. You need have to be to. able to have that be the engine again, just because don't, it you don't takes have to be pressure a top off your offensive run line. Unit. Yeah, no, no, top but, ten, top ten efficiency with a ton of attempts. Like that's what you have to be. God, you're, that's, you're asking a lot of your running. But that's what I'm saying there. to make this conducive because they're not going to be able to throw the ball, and they have to stay ahead of the chains on first and second down to make third down. You know, viable. <laughs> Otherwise, every third down is going to be terrifying. I think maybe you could talk yourself into if we get some scheme touches and just like some yak opportunities for the receivers because, you know, Burks did a decent yep. job of that in college. He actually was pretty bad with the ball in his hands last year, which I thought was pretty surprising. You go back and it's watch some of those game. games, and I think he broke four tackles all of last season on That's 33 weird. receptions and even on some underneath stuff. 
guy who was really good at that, though, which we'll get into in a bit here, is Okonkwo. He yes. just getting the ball in his hands. He was fantastic last season. Yep. So if you just want some quicker completions, so they're going to need to get creative in the ways they move the ball mm-hmm. down the field in the passing game. Even if you can talk yourself into he's, the receivers, he's the heir to Johnu Smith. <laughs> Chig is, <laughs> I mean, but he really is the number two in this offense. I, I was going to say real quick, the last thing with the, maybe the pass catchers is one thing about Hopkins is for sure. The number one there. I think that's nice to take a little load off Burks. I, I know his head was swimming a ton and just what he was asked to do at Arkansas where they're telling, literally telling him what routes to run with signaling to learning an NFL offense. It's like, cause going into like a month ago, he would have been the true number one guy, like just cause of pedigree and everything. And that's scary. So I think getting him, letting him get bumped down is going to be really nice for his projection as far as down the road. Cause I, the less of an ask is less is more for him. So also like Kyle Phillips, their slot guy and returner, he got benched last year though. I think he went a little rogue and Rob Moore, the receiver coach is pretty tough. So I, um, but I do like him. I, I, he, he was a good returner. So I want to see what he can do maybe this year. Maybe not the best offense for his skill set though. The one other thing I'd mentioned about the offense is that Tim Kelly is now taking over as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And, Todd Downing was on the staff under Arthur Smith, and it felt like they were trying to hold on to that Arthur Smith offense for as long as possible because the formula had worked for them. Do we see a departure this year with Kelly taking over? And when they were with the Texans, it was a lot of shotgun. It was a lot. I mean, but that was that more Deshaun Watson centric than the type of offense he would want to run in a vacuum? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. He um actually I will give him some props. Tim Kelly was that second year he was a play caller there. So yeah, that would have been twenty twenty one. Pretty creative. Like he yeah. like you Agreed. know he, he- like with Davis Mills and stuff, he was pretty creative. Like I was like, okay, you actually do some stuff. So like their boot, their boot game was actually pretty interesting. How they used the tight end sliding across and everything. So um, that's where you saw Jordan uh, Atkins getting kind of a lot of catches and stuff. So maybe that's why you can be optimistic about Chick. So I actually like Tim Kelly. He was his one kind of like year I paid attention to him on a terrible Texans team. He actually did some interesting things. So I I, I will say that maybe he can do a little splash of creativity in that boot and play action game. What's the number one thing you're watching with the defense? Because I think we're both fairly optimistic about the defense, but what's your big question about this side of the ball? Um, just who can, like, how, how the DBs look? <laughs> because uh, that's my number one thing I'm focusing on. I'm optimistic about him. I, I, I really like Roger McCreary. Um, I think a healthy Kristen Fulton is an interesting player. They, Did uh, you see Sean that they're McCreary. moving McCreary into the slot, it sounds like? That, when, in, in three I, corner sets when they're in nickel and with Sean Murphy bunting that. on the outside? He, I have no idea play. how he is in the slot. So he I, played I a chunk of his outside. snaps there last year. I, I want to say it was like a third of his snaps. I had the number and I've, I've somehow lost it, but he has done it before. But now mm-hmm. moving him in there potentially full time with Murphy Bunting on the outside when Murphy Bunting was a slot corner in Tampa for most of his time there. It's interesting. I thought I thought it was interesting. But I had read something about that. So we'll see ultimately how that shakes out. In camp, you're trying people in different spots. Yeah. You know, I, I was at Lions, Lions at Giants joint practices this week and Adoree Jackson's in the slot. And I think it's just be, they want to cross train guys and see what mm-hmm. they're capable of. And they have a young corner that they wanted to get reps with on the outside. So usage in, in those specific situations in camp isn't always indicative of where they're going to play, yeah. but just something to keep an eye on. But I think the best version of this corner group actually can be pretty good. And also, you don't know when injuries crop up. <laughs> so it's like, oh, exactly. shoot, we have no, exactly. nobody can play slot. Uh, okay. All right. So, no, that's a great point. I just. Really, it's not like questions as far as like, oh, what can this defense be? It's I'm more just like curious to see how good they could be because I'm very high on them. Uh, I think this is I, I want to see what their ceiling is, and hopefully they can stay healthy because even when they weren't healthy, they were pretty interesting. And 
dude, that front is is a real deal front. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, just Tara Tart and Jeffrey Simmons is an awesome kind of Bash Brothers duo in the middle. I think I all you need that. to know about that group and what they looked like through the middle of their defense last year is that they played with six or fewer guys in the box at the second highest rate in the NFL on early downs, second highest rate, mm-hmm. and they had the best run defense success rate in football. Easily, that, that's too. that is by a lot, and that yeah. is putting a lot on those dudes. But those dudes can do it. Tart has been a yeah. real find, and we know what Jeffrey Simmons is. Yeah, well, and that's what uh, why I'm interested. Why my answer to your question, the original question, is like why I'm interested in DBs. It's like I know what this front can do, <laughs> so I want to see them hold up in the pass game, and it could be a real, real damn good unit. I mean, the everybody's favorite Danico Altry, but Harold, Harold Landry coming back, Arden Key being a nice sub rusher. That's I mean, that's five awesome players like yeah. really good it's a, players. It's, it's a good group it's a it's good a- unit oh i'm sorry and then i was gonna say aziz alshair coming in a linebacker who he was their linebacker three but could have started for 20 for the niners last teams. year yes yeah. for the niners i'm sorry came over you know and he could have started for a majority of the teams last year and be a good starter so i'm curious what he looks like in a full-time role and just how he looks and shines in that role potentially so they it's a very interesting uh, defense with good players at all three levels and guys that are ascending, which is it's, fun. It's thin on the back end, though. It's it is just very thin, thin on the back end. The the same guys who were thrust into action last year when they got hurt at corner potentially could be again. And this, you don't want to bake in injuries. You don't want to talk about them all the no. time. But this is a team that's been hurt. They, for whatever reason, they just thing. consistently lose players, especially on defense. So uh, that is something I'd keep an eye on because they've had guys, when we're going to talk about one of them here in a second, that have said yeah. trouble staying healthy. Structurally, I just really like the defense and the way it's conceived. Yeah. You know, the light boxes and early downs, they played quarters in cover two and about 40% of the early down snaps last year, which was one of the highest rates in the league. Very little single high safety, like we mentioned, that they could still stop the run. They played man at the third highest rate in the league on third down. And it's because they played so much dime. They played mm-hmm, dime mm-hmm. on 74% of their third down snaps last year. 74%. <laughs> Even though they're rotating DBs every week. Yeah. <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's just an identity thing. We just yeah. want to have these different body types on in the secondary in those situations. So they played a ton of man with all of those secondary body yeah. types in the game. 74%, highest rate in the league. The league average was 29%. That's how far big of a departure with the way that this team played and the way most teams play on third down. Yeah. So that idea of we're going to play with an shell on early downs and we're going to still be able to stop the run and we get to third down, we're going to play man and we're going to have all these bodies in the back end. I gonna, I like it as like we're gonna a, push, and we're going to push the pocket. Yeah, <laughs> philosophically it makes sense to me. So now yeah. the question is going to be: Do they have the guys to hold up? Which brings yeah. me to my X factor for this team. Which is and that's Christian Fulton. Love it. He has shown some real flashes. He's gonna be a fourth year corner this year. He was a second round pick. He's shown some real flashes over the last couple of years. He's had some moments where I've thought, man, this guy is gonna be really good. Yeah. He's struggled to stay healthy. He had hamstring issues last year, and even when he did get back on the field, it felt like he wasn't a hundred percent and he hurt his groin late in the season. He's ended up on IR each of the past two years. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Contract year. I was just going to say. If he plays well, he's the type of guy that I think his peaks have shown you that he deserves to get paid. And he's a potential really good corner for years to come in the league. But he's just struggled yes. to stay on the field. So if yep. he can stay healthy and they get 
just year two progression from McCreary, one of those other corner spots, plus the front and then the safeties with Hooker and Kevin Byard. Mm-hmm. I think that it, they have a chance to be really good on defense, but I think that they just have less margin for error because of the injury concerns. And he's the yes. guy that kind of epitomizes that to me. Yep. That's yeah, great example. He just really also they're, they they have a Vrabel identity with this team, which is not a mistake, not just offensively, but defensively. And even when guys are coming off the street, everyone's physical. Everyone's a willing tackler. And that applies to their DBs, too. So I, I just I love kind of you shouting out that the dime personnel, all that whole DB unit, because it's not like they get into those sub packages. And it's like, oh, it's very finesse now. It's like, no, these guys are all <laughs> knocking dudes over and filling the run. So it's a it's a it's a cool mindset that this whole team plays with and starts at the top uh, my x factor this is kind of a corny one but i think it matters for this whole season that's derrick henry's legs <laughs> how can they hold up um because they're gonna give him another 300 touches so i kind of like spoiled this already but this is where my answer went to i think because of the identity of this offense he has to stay healthy um he has to be that bell cow back that he's been in his career is this the last year of it was last year the last year of it where we truly see him as that bell cow guy I don't know. We don't really see running backs built like Derrick Henry. So we don't know what their, yeah. how far their odometer can go. Is he like a 1982 Ford F-150 that just goes and goes and goes? Or is he just like a modern day car that breaks down after three years? Um, I like their backup. Like I said, I like Spears, but it's a totally different tune giving a 250-pound Henry 30 touches a game and a 200-ish pound oft-injured rookie running back touches, even though I do really like them. So I know it sounds basic for this offense to be competent. He's the key to it. Um, this team dropping back has me scared. Tannehill's a good, good athlete. He's not a creative thrower. He's he's the mortar launcher from the pocket. So He's at a top 10 pressure to sack rate and his total sack rate in the league essentially three of the last four seasons. And the only time he uh, didn't was in 2019. So he's okay. up there near the top of the league every single year. I mean, this he's is a stat tough. I wanted to mention before, but didn't. He, he invites sex. And he does. behind an offensive line like this, it's the opposite of what we're talking about with Trevor Lawrence. Yes. Where you mitigate some of the potential issues yep. up front. Ryan Tannehill is not that guy. He never has What been. makes Tannehill good is also his biggest negative. Like 100%. The willingness to stand there down the barrel, two guys running right at him and make a throw. Sometimes he just makes these his almost worst enemy. So great stat to throw out there. I wanted to mention one more note about the defense because we talked about this in the top 10 defenses show, but I think it's really important to mention as this is the preview. This is the most injured defense in the league last year. Yes. So if you're trying to build a case for why they'll be so much better and we have them as a top 10 unit, they were a top 10 unit by weighted defensive DVOA in 2021, but they were hit with just a almost historic rash of injuries last season on the defensive side of the ball. You get back Harold Landry full-time for the season. Hopefully you're a little bit healthier on the back end. That's kind of how you build the case for why they could be a really good defense. We're almost treating that like it's a given, but I think we both kind of see it in a similar way. It's, it's a great point that we got to reiterate. Not everyone listens to those top 10 shows. So that's, exactly. a, that's a fantastic so felt, point to bring up. Felt like it was just worth mentioning again because I, I don't want to assume everyone's listening to every show. Yep. Potential breakout player for the Titans. Who do you got? I want to do McCreary, but I'm going with T.R. Tart. And I think he's already broken out, but I think it's the national recognition. Did you, you say him a, too? You, no, you were just such a uh, weird nerd. A guy, stuffing defensive tackle. A guy with one and a half career sacks is the guy I'm throwing out here. But this guy had more hurries. To, this guy being Terry Tart, who is going into his fourth year. He's a nose tackle. Him and Jeffrey Simmons are so much fun, guys. I'm telling you. But he has more hurries last year per pass rush than Dexter Lawrence. He had the same QB hits per pass rush as Derek Brown, who's like a big breakout candidate for a lot of people. Same splash plays per snap 
uh, as Josh, Jonathan Allen from the Washington Commanders. He gets his hands on a ton of balls. He's a total disruptor against the run. He had the same rate of TFLs and run stuffs per run snap, which is a little stat I really like, uh, as Brian Burns, Zadarius Smith, J.J. Watt, Draymond Jones, and he was just below DeForest Buckner, Cam Hayward, DJ Reader. Those are some dudes, and he's ranking up with them and all those kind of underlying stats. Um, he is kind of a perfect match for the rest of that defensive line because of all the guys that they have. They all push the pocket and they all, one, one guy's going to clean it up and kind of get the sacks and get all the, the final stats, I should say. But this guy, I'm dead serious. And I know I'm not trying to be <laughs> get out over my skis here. He's a legit, legit Pro Bowl caliber nose tackle, but he's never going to be a Pro Bowler. Because of just his underlying stats. You know what I mean? But yeah. he's going to finish here with two and a half sacks, three sacks. So he'll ne- he's not going to get the nada bump, you know, where he's the first round pick and all this. But he is, he's awesome. He's never going to get the accolades, but he's a, in his type of role, he's a star role player. And I think some more people are going to recognize him when he's like, wow, who's that big lug just getting another tackle or just plugging two off its alignment? Because his stuff is true highlight film. So he's the guy I'm throwing in there. The guy with one and a half career sacks, Tier Tart, but along with Jeffrey Simmons, it's a damn, damn good uh, defensive tackle duo that I love watching every week. So he was a restricted free agent mm-hmm. this year, and they he, gave him the second year, second round tender uh, sec- with a guy who was an undrafted free agent, I believe. Yes, and he's twenty six, and he will be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Correct. So yes. that national recognition. He's one of those guys that maybe come free agent time when he's getting twelve million a year or whatever he, he ends up getting. He gets the Zach like, Allen, who's Tier Tart? So <laughs> yes. getting a little bit ahead of that, I think, is probably a good move. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going with Chico Kakwa, the I tight end, it. second year tight end. I was looking at some of the numbers for him last season. I was staggering. So some he, yak stats. It's ridiculous. Isn't I it? do. He <laughs> led the NFL in yards per route run among tight ends last year. He was at two point six one. That's elite. Travis yeah. Kelsey was 2.23. They were the yeah. only tight ends over two. And he wasn't a full-time player, so some of that small sample. But per route, just efficiency numbers as a receiver last year, he was incredible. Th- this one I absolutely loved. He was 11th in receiving yards on passes of 15-plus air yards among tight ends last year, which may not seem that impressive. He was only on the field. He only ran 23 routes when the Titans pushed the ball down the field last season. Only 23. 11 times they threw it to him. So the, the, they knew where the, it's going. <laughs> the 23 plays he was on the field yeah. for a target of 15 or more air yards for the Titans. Half of them. He got half of the targets. Yeah. The only player, the only tight end in the NFL who got a higher percentage of his team's deep targets when he was on the field for those deep throws was Kyle Pitts. Only one. Who's so, basically an X receiver. <laughs> yes. So yeah. he's a deep threat. Yeah. And again, 175 yards on deep targets last year. He was 11th in receiving yards on 15 or more air yard passes while being 51st in tight end routes run. That's insane. Okay. That That's insane. real production on those sorts of plays. He led the league in yak per reception over expectation last season. He led the NFL among all players. He was just ahead of Devo Samuel. So this is a guy who was one of the best deep threats at tight end in the NFL mm-hmm. in limited action and was the best yak guy. That's awesome. He's he's what people in New York wanted Evan Ingram to be, but he's actually that's exactly what he is, though. <laughs> that's actually that dude is legit. At. I was he's shocked legit. when I saw some of those numbers. My only he's concern fun. about this: he weighs two hundred forty pounds. Mm-hmm. Last year, they had eleven hundred combined snaps from Austin Hooper and Jeff Swaim last season. Eleven hundred. Yeah. 
Okay. Neither of them are on the roster anymore. Nope. Only a third of Okonkwo's targets and receptions came as an inline tight end last season. So if you're asking him to play in line, are you potentially sapping him of some of those elements that made him special as a receiver? Right. And if you're not asking him to play in line, who is going to do it on this team? So just one more offensive line adjacent concern that I have. It's a major one. Because even the guy, the tight end they drafted, Josh Wiley from Cincinnati, I I like him, but I thought of him as like a a project. You know, maybe you got some here. He's the classic height, weight, speed. Like, okay, he's had some production, but it's – I had the same concerns because I was like, he truly is the heir to John U. Smith. Because John U. Smith, when he was with the Titans, probably when he was going to be with Atlanta, if they were running the ball, I guarantee you it was away from John U. Smith. <laughs> it was not to his side. It was away from him or he was slicing across the formation to kick out a guy. But they had to, you have to design these guys. That's why I can, as much as they can bring to the table, they can take some off. But it's a, it's a very, very valid question because they had some whys last year, why tight ends, and now they don't. So how do you use them? So just another question for this entire offense that the Titans have. Seven and a half over under for the Tennessee Titans. What are you going with? I cannot believe this. I'm taking the freaking over. I just bet on the defense. Betting on the oh, defense. Man. And the multiverse I, of the offense being fine enough. That's, that's what I'm betting on. Yep. I'm going. I don't under. think they're making the playoffs. I, I say but. seven and 10. I, I'd say seven and 10. And that's, maybe, maybe that's, betting against Vrabel on that defense. Vegas I'm is really trouble, good at this. Because I had him as a seven win team in my head, too. But it's seven and a half. I end up, I end up giving the bump to eight. I'm going I, I under because so I many just, of these teams, I'm, I just pushed them over. And so I, some of them, I got to just go with the under. And that's. that's so we basically flop, we basically flopped the Titans and Jags with our thinking. It was like oh, one of them kind of have to bump under, but I I just think I just in my head it's like I think Vrabel's going to get him to competency <laughs> at least in my head canon. All right, let's get to the Indianapolis Colts, our third Ooh. team here in the AFC South. What a year it has been for the Indianapolis Colts. Division world. favorites heading into twenty twenty two. We both picked them to be a top ten offense last season. Sort yes, of on did. Sort of sort of by default. It was a bet on Frank Reich and maybe Matt Ryan still got something left in the tank. Dead last in weighted offensive DVOA in twenty twenty two. The worst offense in professional football. And it's great because it's like thirty first passing game, like thirty six rushing game rushing game. It wasn't like they, one... they could have been thirty sixth. Even though they're only thirty two teams, they could have been thirty sixth. It, it felt like just no matter what, every stat I looked at, there's thirtieth, thirty first, or thirty second in every single stat. Sorry, not thirty sixth. They haven't the NFL hasn't expanded yet. <laughs> my big question with the Titans or with the Colts, my, my the story of the Colts, what is the story around this team? Is can the shiny new stuff distract from what is becoming an increasingly volatile situation? Yeah. They fired Frank Reich and hired Jeff Saturday to be their interim head coach. And I think wanted to give him the job. If it were up that to Jim Mersey, Jeff Saturday may be the head coach of the Colts. So can you deflect from the volatility and kind of the randomness of the owner who's getting in Twitter fights with your most high-profile player, who's trying <laughs> to hire guys from the ESPN studio to be your long-term head coach? Can none of that matter if you hit on the head coach and Shane Steichen, who's in year one with them, and the quarterback and Anthony Richardson, who they drafted in the top five, because we've seen teams that feel like they are mired in just awfulness, whether it's bad ownership, whether it's the wrong people in charge, the right quarterback, the right head coach and winning football games is a great way to distract from all of that. So can that happen for the Colts? That is my big question heading into this year. Yeah, I said, how do they like selling their quarterback timeshares to actually buying some real real estate? 
in the in the quarterback market. They're like, oh, I'm gonna buy that. Okay, you know, it's a little bit of a fixer upper, but you know, that it's got it's got a good base to it. <laughs> it's got potential. It's got good property right there, and that's Anthony Richardson. So that's my main question. Just, there was that tweet a few weeks ago where someone was like, "There's so much stuff that happened in the NFL season that we just forget about." The Jeff Saturday experience is one that's like that happened. Like that happened. That definitely happened for weeks. It happened. It wasn't just a one-off game having you know some coach come from week 18. It was like no, that happened for months. That guy's I have heard great reviews of their head coach process and their hiring process for people who were in the process mm-hmm. had very good things to say about the state of the organization, what it felt like. So it's not like the house is burning down. No, I just think that there has been enough volatility with some of the owner's decision-making that it's, he's made it harder on the people in the building. If you're Shane Steichen and you're in your first week heading into training camp and you see that tweet go out, you're the one that has to answer for that every single day about Jonathan yep. Taylor. The owner is not answering questions every day. You have to do that. So it makes it harder for the people in the building. So even if it's a little bit of an uphill battle dealing with that some, some of that stuff, can these guys overcome it and kind of restore a sense of normalcy to an organization yeah. that had drifted away from it last season? Let's be kind, to be kind. Yeah. We, uh, we're uh, some small sliding doors away from the AFC South having Josh McCown and Jeff Saturday as two of their head coaches. And Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer. <laughs> I love the NFL. <laughs> it's, it's so amazing that this is all real. This is all almost happened. But all right, I don't I, even I, know if I want to ask you this question. Talking about the that. offense, what 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 is your big question about the Indianapolis Colts offense? Um, <laughs> I okay. My big question, if I want to get like philosophical with this, is what does Shane Steichen think of his offense? Like, what is he adapts to his personnel? How does he adapt to this personnel? And that's my question. But really, it's how when when do you, when are you going to tell me to stop on Anthony Richardson? <laughs> it's like how much can my hype build about Anthony Richardson? That maybe is my question if I'm like really looking at this team because this is this game just like Trevor Lawrence during his rookie year. I don't care how the Colts finish this year. I I know I'm going to be watching their all 22 every week <laughs> because I just want to see the growth from that quarterback. So I don't know. I think maybe where's the limit of Nate Love for Anthony Richardson is maybe the number one question that I have right now. It was interesting being there and talking to people about what they liked about him in the process. And obviously the tools jump out to you and the testing. And he's the best athlete to ever walk through the combine as a quarterback. He's 255 now. (laughs) At practice, the offensive lineman looks small because they're standing next to the quarterback who's the same size as them. He legitimately looks like he's the same size as the offensive lineman. It's like Cole Pepper. It's crazy. And being there and seeing it in person, I was like, that's absolutely wild. And he made a couple throws in practice. Again, it's practice, but they yeah. were an 11 on 11. And he just is a really talented thrower of the ball. And that, when talking to people there about what they was intriguing about him, it wasn't the physical skill set in terms of athleticism. It was how natural of a thrower he was. Mm-hmm. And just the elasticity in his arm and the way he kind of moved. And you just see kind of that aspect that a lot of really good quarterbacks have. Even if the accuracy was a concern sometimes because of mechanical issues, how easy of a thrower he is, I think, is an easy sell. And so how they bring him along is the biggest question for me. How Mm. much do you try to insulate him in year one? Essentially, how run heavy is the offense? Yeah. And I imagine it being very run heavy. I don't know if it'll be quite to the level 
of the 2021 Eagles when they were really trying to keep things as condensed as possible mm-hmm. for Jalen Hurts, I think it'll probably be in that zip code as mm-hmm. they just try to protect him as much as possible. You give him some easy throws, similar to all the RPOs we've seen in Philadelphia mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, but just really keep it condensed. And not because they don't think he can handle it mentally. He's apparently very far along. No wristband, spit now plays in the huddle. His command is very good of the offense already, which is why I think he starts week one. But I think it's just about knowing you don't have any super high-level weapons on the outside. They're competent players, Mm -hmm. and you just make sure that you're not putting him in bad spots. So just trying to keep things as limited as possible early on and just leaning on what he can give you in the run game. That would be my guess. And I, it makes a lot of sense, especially with the head coach's background. And I've talked about this before. And he's a North Turner guy. He's, he's a few offenses, but he has some a lot of North Turner. And what a lot of that offense was was the heavy play action with two man routes and a check down, which is what Richardson ran at college a little bit, uh, not a little bit, a lot of it at Florida, which is where you saw a lot of his highlights and his shine and his ability to layer throws and launch things 35 yards down the field that some quarterbacks would struggle at 20 yards or 15 yards. Like, like you said, that easy throwing motion, thrown off back foot or off his back foot, throwing in a tight pocket where he doesn't even have to get his legs into it. That's where that you see kind of that's the special nature of his game. But I, I, I agree with that where I think it is going to be run heavy, hopefully with Jonathan Taylor there. Uh, but also just, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a whole thing um, as much as I like Evan Hull, but I'll talk about him in a sec. But it's I think that is the best way to go about it. Make it a true pick a side read, make it true play action, two man concepts with a check down. So two and a half. One, two, concepts. run. One, two, one, two run. run. One, two, Simple. run. And, and I think that they are gifts. going to do that with him. It's going to be great. I, I, the, what is, is going to be fun is keeping track of all the different running game shit that they do. Oh, I, I, I there's going to it's going to be similar to Atlanta over the last couple of years where there's just yeah. so many different moving parts. I think different structurally, which we can talk yeah. about in a second. But I think some of the things they're going to try to trot out with him are going to be pretty unique and pretty fun. That's awesome. I, I mean, that's what even though the old line, you want to just start talking about the offense? Well, so the, the, here's the, yeah. here's the structural change I think could be coming for the run game. I think this is important compared to a team like Atlanta, who's also very run heavy. I expect this team to be a run heavy team out of 11 personnel. Okay. which is different than other run-heavy teams that we've seen around the league over the last couple mm-hmm. of seasons, except for the Eagles. The Eagles were a high 11 personnel team, even last year being super run-heavy. And what that does is it controls for box counts. Mm-hmm. So it gives you advantageous run looks consistently. The Eagles ran the ball into an eight or heavier man box on 36% of their early down carries last year. That was 15th in the NFL. That feels incongruous with how good the Eagles run game is. Mm-hmm. But when you're an 11... And some of the ways that they would formationally kind of play with teams, whether it's three receivers on one side and a tight end, you're creating a light box for yourself immediately. So I think they're going to have a similar approach here where we just want to make the running game as easy as possible because we're already controlling the numbers with an extra guy as the quarterback. So let's control them even further. And that would mean Josh Downs, who they drafted this year, is going to be in the slot for them. I think that's their best eleven. And I think that that is the best way for them to structurally run the ball. And then you create advantageous looks for Taylor, all of this different stuff. So I think from day one, the way the running game is built is automatically going to be putting them in a good position to run the ball effectively. And and I I love what you're saying, like the 11 personnel stuff. What's nice with their um, plethora of tight ends is they kind of they can get to various looks. Like, I mean, like they can go to a, a three tight end look if they want to get to it. They can go 12. They can live in 11. It's nice. We talk about this in the top 10 offenses pod. It's nice when 
this is not going to be a top 10 offense. I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm saying that offense is having that multiplicity, multiple looks that, you know, we used to make fun of that coaches would say at a press conference. It's nice to have at least it where you're competent if they have to trot out some tight ends and everything. So I, I also think too, is with, you're talking about the kind of variable run game, which I'm very excited about. I think that's what a lot of teams have to do now. You can't just run outside zone. You have to run a little bit of everything these days. Also, by the way, just just a sidebar, talking about how much teams are changing their run games. When I was at Rams practice, I saw the Rams running counter. I can count on my hands how many times I've seen the Rams over the last few years run counter. So just that's saying com- that. That's, co- that's coming. They, they know yeah, they need to be more varied. They have to. I had a tweet about it last year. I was furious. I said, like, you can't keep running these zone plays <laughs> against these fronts. They're going to kick your ass. And they were. So even if the Rams are sprinkling and Sean McVay sprinkling different runs, I think everybody's going to do that. Even last year, though, the line, of course, is going to be a question mark with this offense. But having Anthony Richardson to kind of mitigate those blemishes is going to be huge. Just him as a uh, the QB it's so run game. different. Can you imagine two two quarterbacks further away and how they deal with pressure and leaky pockets than yeah. Anthony Richardson and 2022 Matt Ryan? Yeah, All right. Right, and who could barely get to the ball ball to the sideline too, which will affect some of the receivers I'll talk about in the sack. I do have a stat for this. Matt Ryan scrambled on his two uh, percent of his dropbacks last year, which ranked 29th out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks. Even that's didn't have high. a right. Didn't have a single. Oh, uh, I, I looked up. I don't have the exact number, but I think most of them were in the fourth quarter when it was like a two minute drill. So didn't have a single design run last year, which makes a lot of sense. It's Matt Ryan outside of QB sneaks or taking a knee. You know who's going to have a lot of design runs this year <laughs> is uh, the quarterback right now in Indianapolis, not Gardner Minshew, but uh, Anthony Richardson. Like that, that's just one way to make it just easier on everybody else. When you don't, okay, our guy can't win against this guy time after time. All right, let's just not block him and have Richardson read it. And now we're creating seven yards when it used to be just a dead play as soon as we snapped it. It's like, that's what raises the bar about the QB's legs. Even the throwing stuff is going to be up and down, I'm sure, this year. But there's going to be plenty of highs with Richardson. I'm sure there's going to be some lows. But that QB run game, I guarantee you, we're out of the out of the gate, it's going to be great. So yeah. that's uh, that's where this that's where you're going to see the bar lifted with this whole team just right then and there with Richardson's legs. The line was a disaster last year. It was not Terrible. good. There are multiple reasons. You mentioned one of them with Richardson and just the being able to kind of change the numbers in the run game. I think there are other reasons too. One. Bernard Raymond, their left tackle, who they drafted in the third round last season, was much better in the second half of the year. He was really bad in his first couple starts. That first game he played against Denver, I think that's probably the one burned into people's minds. He got much better over the second half of the year, and he wasn't ready to play. He was a Mm -hmm. third round pick. He's 24, 25, I think, when he was drafted, but he hadn't played that much football. Mm -hmm. And he was a really good athlete, but his functional strength just was not there. He is much bigger and stronger this year. He's my spoiler word. He's my breakout player for them. I think he has nice. a chance to be a good player in year two. So if you go from being really bad at, for stretches last year to even an above average left tackle, that's a mm-hmm. huge deal. Quentin Nelson was dinged up last year. I think he will probably be better this season, yes. healthier. And, and also the, he's a prideful guy, by the way, Quentin yeah. Nelson. So he knows – they know what they put out on tape. So that's where yeah, they I, do. I'm, I'm, I'm betting on him to come back. Even if it's 90% of what he used to be, it's still damn good. Right guard is their biggest issue, and they know yep. it. And yep. they, they know that right guard is an issue for them. They have so many different reasons to believe that the play can be better from him and from the group overall. Last season, the Colts, 75%, 75.2% of their passes were true dropbacks. That was the third highest rate in the league. Yeah, 75%. You were just That's putting so it with, with a statue quarterback. Yeah. What you are asking of your offensive line there is so tough. The Eagles were at 55.8%. 
that was 29th in the NFL. So just that. You're yeah. making it so much easier on your offensive yeah. line. And that's before we even consider the mobility of the quarterback to make right. people miss in those situations. So I just think even if the line didn't have any outside additions, it's going to be better for structural reasons, for health yes. reasons, and just the left tackle getting better in his second year. Yeah. So no, and I, I like that. The last thing is the running game. The Colts running game last year was disgusting. Yeah. So couldn't even get off the ground. <laughs> 67 backs last year had at least 50 carries. The Colts' backs ranked 56th, 60th, and 66th in EPA per rush. So Jonathan Taylor was bad last year, but everyone who got the ball for the Colts was bad last year. The Eagles on that same list of those 67 backs in EPA per rush, number one and number nine. Kenny Gainwell was number one. Miles Sanders was number nine. If you tick up the rushes to 100, Miles Miles Sanders led the NFL in EPA per Mm -hmm. rush among running backs. Everything about this offense makes it easier on the players you want to make it easier for. It, yep. it just wasn't like that last year. So I think it's going to be all over the place. I think it's going to be totally up and down. I think asking him to be a good passer right away is asking a lot. But yep. I do think that so many things are lining up for the game to just be less hard for yes. the NFL's worst offense from last season than it's going to be this year. That's what it is. It's down the road. The ceiling could be something, but right now that floor just got lifted from absolute bottom tier floor, like I'm, the floor of floors. Like you can't go any further to competency just because of just uptick. What we're saying, the offensive line and a quarterback that uses legs. I mean, Jonathan Taylor has never played with a quarterback that can run. Like no. you know, like I'm not calling Carson Wentz a runner. That's just chaos what he was doing. But it's but a valid running attack, like with the quarterback using his legs, and not crazy scrambling everywhere and throwing interceptions. So that's interesting because he's good out of the run or out of the shotgun or good under center. Some he backs will. Wor- he was worse in the gun, even in even in the year mm. where he was dominating. His his efficiency mm. numbers were worse up. out of nope. the gun than they were under center. First, first down success rate was like basically exactly the same. I was looking at EPA. Year. I was looking at yeah. EPA. So I'm sure there's a lot of explosive plays yeah. that maybe success rate that. was because my theory has always been that he was worse out of the gun. And then I looked up the numbers because I was with you on that. Because even in at Wisconsin, they moved to the pistol because they wanted to look more under center with mm-hmm. some of their kind of their stuff. They that's what the pistol does. It's gun and under center. You're kind of hybriding it. So that they got Paul Chris to run pistol because they're like. Well, let's make our running back look really good because <laughs> he's a really good player. So I had the same theory, though. I thought he was worse out of the gun, but it turned out success rate-wise, he actually was about the same. So that's where I'm just curious. I, I just want to see what that looks like. He's never played with that type of guy. I'm hoping Ryan – it was so disappointing to watch that Colts offensive line last year just mentally sometimes. They just looked beaten down. Like they just looked like – like me- they just looked mentally lazy at times where they weren't going to the right spot. The Jaguars game is the one that stands out to me uh, early in the season, Jaguars game. So that's kind of like, I just think there's just going to be a little bit more comp- competence there, just naturally. <laughs> Regression to the mean. Uh, that's what I'm just hoping for there. And of course, Richardson's the get out jail free card. I, I have Raymond for one of my answers, but the other answer. So well, I'll, ta- I'll talk about him as well. <laughs> Last Jonathan Taylor point. This team, I think they've explicitly kind of said this. I don't know if they've, it's been public, but I think this is kind of the vibe is that they're not paying anybody. Yeah. The guys that are up for extensions, Michael Pittman's going to be a free agent. They're not even going to be free agents. Like those guys are just up for extensions. They're not. I don't think they're handing out any money based on the season and what they did last year. Right. So Michael Pittman's another one of those guys. What does he look like within this offense? So I think there are a lot of questions of kind of how some of the old pieces from the old version of the Colts translate to this offense. 
And I think that the floor and the structure and everything else sets a lot of guys up to succeed. But there are questions about how it's all going to fit together because yep. you're moving from one era into another era. And yep. that is going to be their biggest question on that side of the ball. Yeah. And I'm just – like I said, my, my original question for this question, I guess, was what do they think of their unit? What do they think yep. of their personnel? It's a new regime. They, they didn't draft all these guys. So I, I think I really trust – this head coach and really think he's a great offensive mind. So I, I really want to see just what he thinks. And that's why I'm going to be interested in watching the Colts every week. What's the biggest question you have about their defense heading into the season? The Indianapolis Colts. Can they cover anybody on the outside? <laughs> that's, that is, I mean, that's first and foremost. I think they can, this group can make it tough sledding on the ground for offenses and they, and really throwing over the middle where the strength of this unit is. But you look at that depth chart or just look at who they have and, can they cover anybody on the outside? You're, you have Gus Bradley as your defensive coordinator, and they play single high, man or cover three, just basic numbers over two-thirds of their snaps, and that's going to require your corners to cover guys. And, and, and Gus even Bradley, that is – and that's with that's him – That's lower adapt- than that, usual. That's with him <laughs> adapting a little bit. Last year they – so in 2021, they played yeah. cover three on 73% of their early down snaps with the Raiders. 73%. That's Last awesome. year they were down to 50%. That was the yeah. third highest rate in the league. Yeah. So even, that's with him even adapting to some of the things and he used to do. I looked up the same numbers because I remember in my head, I was like, oh, he changed what he did last year. And I was like, nope, still top three. <laughs> still, still third. And so that's why I included the man coverage in there too, because I was like, well, let's, let's, let's show just how much single high that Gus Bradley likes to run. It's it's fun. We talked about how Derrick Henry is like a running back from yesteryear. It's like, you know, also with like Gus Bradley calling plays, it's like, it's nice to look at a little a lens from 10 years some ago. different stuff. At least like the, the, he was running more quarters on early downs and more cover yeah. two on later down, third down. It's like, even that is a, a step in the right direction. Way to I'm, go, Gus. I'm with, I, the, the corners and just the secondary in general is, is easily yeah. the biggest question because the front seven, it's, they have, at this stage of his bad. career, DeForest Buckner is a good player. I don't think mm-hmm. he's the game record that he was a couple of years ago. So if you concede that and you look at the rest of the guys they have up front, Grover Stewart's a good player. Samson Epicam is a functional player. He was in San Francisco last year. They signed as a free agent. Quiddy Pay has been fine. He struggled to stay healthy. So that combined with Shaq Leonard being back at linebacker and being healthy, I think the front seven could be solid. But the problem is with this back end, you kind of need them to be excellent for this to be like a top 10-ish unit. They were good last year. This is a team that was like on the verge of – being a top 10 sort of defense at times last season, like in the top 12, I think they finished 17th and weighted DVOA. Yep. But the guys who were their best players on the back end aren't on the team anymore. Right. right. Roddy McLeod played well for them last year. He's not here. Uh-huh. Stefan Gilmore played well for them last year. God. He's not here. So you have Juju Brents, who they drafted in the second round. He hasn't been practicing. He, ju- he just got back, I think, earlier this week. I think when I was there, maybe in his second or first or second day of practice, now it would have been August 6th. So he missed most of the start of camp. Theoretically, he's a starting corner, but who knows that he hasn't really played much. And on the other side, you got Daryl Baker, who's a street free agent who was on the practice squad for most of last year. He's been looked good. Apparently, he's got he's got a lot of you, a lot of athleticism. You compare but any two names together, like <laughs> like Daryl Baker and Dallas Flowers were both sure. undrafted free agents in the last year, and those guys are in the mix to yes, be that other outside corner. And then Darius Rush, they drafted in the fifth round. So this secondary is just going to be hanging on for dear yeah. life. Julian Blackman is a starter, but he's struggled yeah. to stay healthy. So even if Gus Bradley is competency personified on that yeah. side of the ball, where it's like, we're going to have the 17th best defense in football. 
that to me is even tough to talk yourself into with some of the youth they have at some of these secondary yeah. positions. But it's important to acknowledge that's where this team is. They tra- yeah. they, they traded Stephon Gilmore. Yes. They're no longer trying to squeeze everything they can out of every nope. single roster. They're now they're, in a place they're the moving clock. on from Stephon yep. Gilmore, not acquiring Stephon Gilmore. Correct. So even if their defense takes a step back, that's fine because I think yeah. that's kind of where they are in their timeline. It, it makes it so much easier to make some decisions when you kind of know that. Like rather, oh, do we do, uh, you know, don't have that gambler's fallacy with some things. Well, if it worked before, we got to do it again. You know, let's get another quarterback in here. Just resetting the clock and everyone's on the same timeline really helps. Um, I know. And even like a guy like Quiddy Pay, you hope he keeps ascending, but he's got to stay healthy. Like notice a theme here with, <laughs> with this defense is just, can this guy stay healthy? Well, maybe. Well, do they have a depth guy behind him? Not really. Like that you can kind of like maybe he'll shore it up. So that's, that's where this unit is right now. They've lost some interesting guys. I agree with you. I, it's a front seven centric unit that I think is competent enough, but it's they have to defend the pass for thirty something times a game. That's just scary. But especially yeah. if you can just pepper outside throws to them. It's like they might their uh, second round pick uh, Juju Brantz is a height weight speed guy. So usually those guys there's are a lot projects. of height weight speed guys on this defense. That's what they did this off season. Yes, they rolled the dice on like the, what they tried to do is they just traded back and back and back to try to recoup some of the draft capital that they'd lost trading for veterans, trading for quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and just made bets on athletes. That yeah. that was the reset of the roster that they underwent. Absolutely. Now the athletes need to turn into players. Yes. And that's what uh, even their fourth round pick uh, from uh, Northwestern, Tommy Adebare, it's like, fun athlete, not a lot of production. Like he, He's just another guy that's like, I mean, of course, he's a rookie, so don't get me wrong here. But I did like him as far as he's different than DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. So it's a nice, like, he's a that was a perfect match for him as far as team fit. I was a little worried at some of the teams that he was getting paired to. Zaire Franklin played well when Shaq Leonard was hurt. Which makes you feel better about losing Okereke in free agency. Correct. So their front seven is, has some decent players and in it, but no stars. I, and the one what? DB I like is Ronnie Thomas. Is uh, but the last seventh time I round gave rookie him, for them last year, I gave him a shout well. out last year, and he got burned the next week, and so I never mentioned him again because I just instantly jinxed him, like instantly brought him up. And I, I you remember that, and you were like, yes. you were, you're were la- I think you texted me right away. And you're like, man, I was watching Ronnie Thomas, and of course something happened to him. So, but I do like him. He's a seven, I think he was from Yale. Uh, he's he's an interesting player. I think yeah. he's gonna be seventh a solid round starter. rookie last season at safety. Yeah. He's going to be a starter for them this year. And then they drafted Nick Cross in the third round, who was another yep. high yep. weight speed guy at safety last season. <laughs> And he's going to be, I think, maybe a, a rotational piece. They can do some different stuff personnel-wise. So yeah. uh, we talk about the front seven, and maybe there's some, a lot of good players. They don't have that many needle movers with DeForest Buckner being at the stage of his career. My X factor is Quiddy Pay. Can, can yeah, he take that. a step forward, and can he be, he be healthy? Can he be one of those guys where maybe he's like a really solid 1B rusher for you in a way that he hasn't been at this stage of his career? Because yeah. this is a theme, any team you talk about. The guys you invested in, they need to become difference makers. Yes. If you draft guys in the first round, even in the back half of the first round, they need to become difference makers for you eventually. Yes. You need to hit on those players at a certain rate in order to be a good NFL team. And the Colts just haven't really done that. They haven't found those types of players or they've traded away picks <laughs> for quarterbacks when they've been yep. looking for those types of players. So you look at this roster in general, and since that 2018 hot streak that they went on. Yep. You know, Pittman and Taylor are fine, but there haven't been that many other guys in those first couple of rounds that have become those types of needle-moving players for them. This isn't a revolutionary thought. I think it's just economics 101. It's that you have to have some guys outplay their draft spot and have to have some guys outplay their contracts. Like That's yeah. that's how you become winning teams, Is along with having a damn, damn good quarterback, is other guys have to outplay. That third-round pick has to look like a steal 
that's undrafted guy has to look like a steal. That guy that you sign on a two-year deal has to be like, oh, wow, we really found a diamond in the rough there. So my X factor is Raymond. Um, is just that that's can they find a real legit left tackle? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought him up. And everything I said, actually, when I rewatched him, he was more solid than I remember. That was kind of a, I'm glad you brought up the second half of the year, but it'd be a huge win for this team that's been trying to figure out that position. We talked about quarterback, but left tackle has been a spot of them trying to figure out a guy that can stick there. You know, they had Eric Fisher there for a little bit. So I think that he's my X factor because I think if they figure it out, even if he's just solid, that would just make you feel a lot better about where the projection of this line's going. We talk about the Andrew Luck retirement being something that kind of knocked this team on its ass. The yep. Anthony Costanzo retirement yes. also kind of knocked this yes. team on its ass. They've been struggling uh, yeah. to find a guy there. I I have I have faith. And again, it's it's that time of year. It's August. I like everyone out. is excited about everyone, but I think they're pretty happy with where he is in his development. That's good. And to hear. So I I think that he that's why he's my breakout player candidate. I, I think like he, he was a fantastic tester. I mean, he's a really good athlete, even as an older prospect. He's from Germany or Austria, I want to say. I mean, he came to football late. So he's actually a year and a half older than Andrew Thomas, who just signed that extension, which isn't good. You don't want to bet on those sorts of prospects, but he is an athlete. So it's not like he's a low ceiling guy because he has the traits. He just came into the league a little bit older. So I think he has the movement skills. It was just about strength. And he has really remade his body and, again, was much better in the the second half of last year than he was early. So I think he has a chance to be like an above average NFL left tackle by the end of the season. And I think I think that's very fair. Um, Like I said, I I liked him coming in. And, yeah, he's a a late bloomer. And that's like – Offensive line is just such a tricky thing. There's only so many guys that can play these spots. You got to find them everywhere. So my breakout guy, and I'm very proud of myself that I haven't mentioned his name yet, and that's Alec Pierce. Uh, it's it's got to be my guy. But jokingly and not jokingly, like seriously, I know I, I was high on him going to the draft process. I just think his synergy and skill set matches with Anthea Richardson to a T. I think it is. I think those two are going to make some magic together. I really do. This guy just. You can't, not everyone can watch all 22 and everything, but there is this, like, there's a lot of YouTube stuff out there now, which is great. Go find this, just Google search it, YouTube, uh, all targets out Pierce, and then count. It's going to take more than two hands. How many times he wins on a go ball and Matt Ryan is thrown it five yards behind him and he has to play defense and knock the ball down. Now you got a guy that can throw it legitimately like 80 yards with a guy that wins time and time again on vertical routes. So I looked it up on uh, SIS, on Sports Info Solutions. So on go, corner, corners, posts, and fade routes last year. So true vertical routes. Pierce had the same yards per route run on those as Jamar Chase, Christian Watson, and Mike Evans. Uh, he even rated higher than George Pickens, who's like everybody's favorite second-year breakout guy. And this is what Matt Ryan's like zombie arm that could barely even get the ball there. He didn't rank too high in successful targets per route, but it was still higher than George Pickens. And I mentioned all these on our fantasy football show. So I'm kind of continuing this like kind of trend of talking about him, But... I just think about the back shoulders. I'm not saying this guy's going to be like a top 10, top 15 guy, but I think he's going to be a legit where you're like, wow, he's explosive. We're going to see some highlights from Alec Pierce. He might be that kind of, you know, 800 and something yard guy, but it's like, you know, on 40, 50 catches where it's just all vertical. It's like he averages 18, 20 yards a catch. But I think now you have a quarterback that's willing to give him chances. And I'm excited to see what they do in the red zone. I think he can dunk on guys. He's a great back shoulder catcher. So I just think that, their synergy is going to be something I'm really excited to watch, and I'm very optimistic about it. All right. Over-under on the Colts. Six and a half is their over-under right now. Where are you going? I can't believe this. I took the over on them. 
I, I, it's a bet on the coach. It's a bet on the ascension in the second half of the year. That's, that's, and a very easy schedule, by the way. One of the five easiest uh, schedules in the league, depending on how you break it down. Yeah, I mean, they play the NFC South, they play the AFC South. Those are both divisions you want to be playing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm going under. I, you got, yeah. we got to pick some that are under. Have to. That's that's how I was feeling about it, and I just think it's going to be so scattershot and just so all over the place. Like the the line, if you look at at the end of the season, like their right. efficiency per game on offense, I think it's just going to be like a squiggly line. It's going to look like, like an the- EKG. The, the the football outsiders variance like yes. you know they tie, yeah it's gonna be 30 second <laughs> and that's okay just that's okay you that's just want to get to be. the end of the season and you just yes. want to feel good about them again that conscious step back on defense pay attention to that stuff they yeah. they know they know they're taking a half step back this year all that matters is does the quarterback show you enough flashes so if you win six games and you have a top, a top five pick and you're picking fucking marvin harrison and, and you drop that that's fine like, don't, or, don't worry about it, Colts fans. Don't worry. If you win five of, games this year and that guy looks like a dude, none of this matters. And we haven't talked about this, but this is an awesome offensive tackle draft, too. It's a, So you might shore that up as well, even if, if Raymond's decent. It's like there's some awesome dudes in this tackle class as well. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Hmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's get to the Houston Texans, our preview for the 2023 Texans. This is all about just being a big boy NFL franchise again. Yes. And that that's, that's what it. it feels like. Yes. I, it almost feels like a dream the last two years. 
Think about what the Texans have been like for the last few years. And this is beyond Deshaun Watson. That, that, that's, I'm not, that I'm not going to talk about. That's a whole different thing. This is stuff they did. These are choices they made yes. organizationally. Remember the Jack Easterby era? Where they, they hired this guy who was the team chaplain for the Patriots and like a culture coach and essentially made him the main decision maker in their front office? That happened. That was a real thing it. that happened for multiple years in the NFL. Then they hired David Culley as a one-year just kind of lame duck head coach from the beginning to come in and be their guy. They fired him. They tried to hire Josh McCown to be their head coach. That didn't work out. So then they hired another lame duck guy that felt like he was hired to be fired in Levy Smith. It's all over now. Those days are gone. They hired D'Amico Ryans. They got a guy who was in demand as a potential head coaching candidate to come in and be their guy. They drafted a quarterback with a second overall pick. They traded away next year's first round pick to go up and get Will Anderson with the third pick. We're here now. Yeah. This is real. Like they are they are in big flashing lights saying, pay attention to us again. And yeah. guess what? You got it. Yeah. I'm paying attention to you again. I am ready to watch the Texans and see what you do this season. So the idea that there's even like a tinge of enthusiasm in my voice or in my head when I think or talk about this team, that's all you need to know about where yeah. they are now compared to where they've been for the last couple of years. I was going to say, they're like a ghost ship, like a ship that you haven't heard from in three years that's been adrift at sea. And then now you're getting a signal from. You're getting the do, 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 do. And it's like, well, I guess like we got to go check this out. So, I mean, this was a, it's not like a total, like it really was, but it's like a smoldering ruins of a franchise. And it's like nice to kind of see some structure. It's like, okay, ah, there's some, there's some stuff getting there. I think they just built a wall. I think they built a grocery store over there. Like, it's kind of nice to see that, but. The number one thing with this team is how the young guys look. That that is what are our building blocks. I think they we know a couple or have ideas of a couple, but maybe they can find some other ones on top of the quarterback they just drafted, on top of Will Anderson that they drafted in the top five as well. Just their other second year guys, even a couple third year guys. But it's what are our building blocks? And I think that's my number one question with them. But yeah, it's nice to get a signal from Houston again and then just kind of go like, okay, we can acknowledge you again and actually talk about some interesting things that you might be doing. Biggest question about the offense that you have. Uh, well, how does CJ Stroud look? But uh, really the number one thing is, how, are any of these young pass catchers something? That That's really my my question. I want to know. like I Because kind of haven't really had to pay attention and Brandon Cooks is gone. So these guys are actually going to get that number one role. Uh, Nico Collins, John John Mechie, Tank Dell, Xavier Hutchinson. Um, you know, that's a day three guys. But and these guys, can any of them at least look like a number two? in a real offense. Cause then you can find your number one later down the road, you know, maybe draft one high next year, but any of these guys actually something. And I'm that's excited the, to see what Nico Collins looks like in this. Offense. I know you like, he's, him, got, don't you? he's got a lot of tools. He does. And it, they've just been such a disaster offensively over the last couple of years. He could barely so, get the ball. Like they couldn't even get him the ball. Sometimes it was frustrating. I think he has something to him and he yep. was a third round pick and drafted into a horrendous situation, but a lot of physical ability. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a year where I, hopefully he can take a step forward, even with a rookie quarterback, because he's now right. the guy there's no one getting his way. Right, kind of commanding targets within this offense. Even if John Mechie can do something in year two after missing all of last season, you got this version of Robert Woods. So it feels like Nico Collins is going to be the biggest threat in their passing game. My biggest question, do they have enough around CJ Stroud to kind of put him in position to be functional as a rookie? And I think the answer is yes. I do too. Titus Howard, their right tackle, broke his hand. He's going to miss four to six weeks but could potentially be back early in the season. They signed George. It's not Fant. soft tissue, which is nice. Yeah. So that <laughs> hopefully he's just back 
And yeah. they'll be sooner rather than later. Again, we talk about Robert Woods. They signed yeah. Dalton Schultz on a one-year deal to kind of give yeah. them a tight end. Uh, they're, it's funny how Noah Brown is the, a guy they signed from the Cowboys. They one of the I think one of the reasons that they were intrigued with him is that he's kind of like Juwan Jennings from those yep. San Francisco D offenses, where it's just a dirty work guy. Really brings like a level, like a mentality and an attitude, mm-hmm. and so he's going to drop in and kind of do that for them. And kind of brings me to the and so just conclusion. I think they do. I think they have enough guys yep. there to kind of give CJ Stroud a shot. I'm just curious what the offense is going to look like. Yeah, you know, you have this marriage between C.J. Stroud and Bobby Slowick, their new offensive coordinator, who comes from San Francisco, and some of it, I assume, is going to look more traditional. When we think about you know, the bootleg stuff and some of the mm-hmm. play actions, but the Niners over the last couple of years have gone away from that. As he's been their passing game coordinator over the last two seasons, when a lot of those other guys have gotten hired away to head coaching jobs, I, I was shocked by this. 39 quarterbacks last season in the NFL attempted at least 150 passes. Okay. Jimmy and Brock ranked 26th and 27th in play action rate. Okay. They were below average. That's, that's not what you would guess. That's, and I, I think it's not to be so, locked top 10 every year. <laughs> so why? I think that the reason talking to people and trying to figure out like, okay, like what is the change there? As you get better weapons, yeah, play, play action limits the scope of your passing game. Yes. Okay. It it confines you to often one or two guys out in routes or maybe one side of the field. So when you have all these weapons, you should widen the scope of your passing game. And that's what we've seen happen in San Francisco over the last several seasons. Get them on islands. They've, you, you, what you're doing is you're trying to manipulate space. You know, that's, if you have all these pass catchers, let's get all of them out in routes and let's widen the scope of what our passing game looks like. Get the ball in their hands and let them go to work. The, the Texans don't have that, you know, like their guys maybe are more functional. So do you want to maybe narrow the scope again of your passing game and have it look a little bit more like Niners passing games in years past? But yeah. I don't think it's going to be totally a, a return to that version of the San Francisco offense that we've seen because Bobby Slowick had a pretty big hand, I think, in shaping some of their evolution in the dropback game and in what that looks like. And that's why I'm kind of excited about him because I think that the gains that the Niners have made and the evolution we've seen from their straight drop back passing game over the last few years, mm-hmm. it's easy to get excited about. So him, I don't think he's just going to be a copy paste Shanahan play action playbook kind of guy yeah. because of the role he's had in that building over the last couple of seasons. I'm excited to watch it because yeah. they've seen shown if we have a quarterback who can just be accurate and play point guard, we can really do a lot on offense. And what can yeah. CJ Stroud do better than any other aspect of his game is put the ball where he wants to put it. So I, I think that it could be a pretty cool marriage pretty early. Yeah. And it's, you know, I also liked, uh, I know you're kind of saying they don't do it as much. Stroud's ability to throw on the move. I always liked because like they, they there will be uh, more of that than there has been in San Francisco. Uh, I would almost bet well, that, you that. That's what I was going to say too, is that with the 49ers and that play action stats, so interesting. And I wish, wish I could differentiate. And I'm sure I think that I can on some websites is uh, nakeds and play actions, like bootlegs and play actions. Cause they're mm-hmm. just that there's that difference. One's in the pocket, one's outside the pocket. And I think that's where the difference I've seen with the 49ers is so many defenses became so good at attacking those bootlegs. We've talked about this. They they've been trained. Hey, the DN, you're going right at the quarterback. So you can't boot on you, which is, it's kind of just matriculated throughout the league. And now I think I always say matriculate because of that old NFL films thing. And I know it's not even the right usage of it, but God, I just have that burn in my brain from when I was like seven years old. But, uh, but anyway, sorry. Um, so that's where I maybe could see the differences where it's kind of that 
that tight end slicing across the formation to kick out the DN on the play action that we see more and more teams do. And then I think that's where Stroud's really good. He can come off that play action look and bump up. So I love the points that you're bringing up because I don't know much about Bobby Sloak. I know his background, um, just looking at his resume and everything, but you never know until these guys get full control. They get final say. They get to get final cut on what their offense looks like. So hearing those his ideas kind of being used in San Francisco is really cool to hear. I, I didn't know any of that. So I'm interested to see it all because I think his baseline is going to be high. He seems well-versed, Bobby Sloak does, when I hear him talk, though, when I have heard him explain things. So I'm kind of like, I feel like his baseline is going to be high because I think the run game will be diverse. I think they've learned enough from the last few years in the 49ers. And I think he'll those passing concepts they use are modernized already. So I think that's where I have, some opti- I have some optimism about what they're going to try to do, at least in year one. And what's cool about the dropback game is that they've built the same sort of counters into the dropback passing game that they built into the the way that the play action game and the running game fit together and how it all mm-hmm. kind of stems off of one another. Their dropback mm-hmm. game looks like that. Every mm-hmm. dropback concept has two or three counters off of it where it looks the same until the last moment where it doesn't. The same and stem. So, so exactly. Yeah, yep. Five yards. Or am I going in, out, or straight? Yeah, that's pretty hard to figure out. And so that mindset of we're consistently finding little tweaks on all of this, again, yeah. I don't think it's just going to be copy-paste. So I think that's exciting. The that's other awesome thing, here, you talk about him explaining stuff. I think that the experience they went through last year in San Francisco where they had all new position coaches, essentially all new position coaches, him and Kyle Shanahan and Chris Furster, their offensive line coach, were the only holdovers. So they had to teach the offense to everyone. Quarterback coach, I mean, Anthony Lynn. I mean, yeah, that's a lot. And Anthony Lynn and and Brian Greasy didn't come from that world. So all the protections are new to them. All the language is new to them. So Bobby Sloak having to be a part of that process last year, I think has put him in a very good position to be able to kind of do that same thing again with this Texans coaching staff. Exactly. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, though. So I I think that's important to to think about because their offensive line coach came from the Colts. He's not from this world. It's going to be kind of a mishmatch of guys with backgrounds. But again, I think that experience last year puts them a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, And then the offensive line moves that they've made, talk about Tyus Howard, Tunsil is a superstar. Kenyon Green at left guard in year two is a first round pick. Hopefully will be better. They drafted Juice Struggs. He's another guy that had a better... Green had a better last six weeks. The beginning of the year, I was like, oh, Rookie boy. offensive lineman could be all over the place, It's man. hard, man. It's hard. And then they traded for Shaq Mason. So yep. their, their line, I think, Everyone is in a that. good spot. Yep. All right. Biggest question about the defense. Oh, what is my biggest question about the defense? Let me scroll down. Oh, okay. So I think it's <laughs> really is how aggressive is it? How aggressive is this unit as far as blitzing? Because I, I think we've talked about this when we're talking about top 10 de- defenses because – uh, everyone wants to listen to that show. Wait till you hear Robert Mays' number 10 pick. It's this Houston Texans team, which I think I had I had someone ask me about that. And I was like, I think listen to his explanation. Listen to Robert what he says about it. Cause I because I saw the tweet that uh you uh maybe got uh, a <laughs> I don't know how I managed to get through that one, but <laughs> framing framing that as the t- uh, top ten defenses in the NFL and not the defenses I think DB. will finish as the top ten in DVOA. I DVOA, think is part yeah. of the other thing. It's also yeah. y- you build those lists to have conversations. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. They're, I know. That's what you gotta understand. Some people <laughs> sometimes it's like I want to talk about a team, so I'm gonna include them in here. So, but anyways, I just want to see how aggressive it is because we talked about how we like their kind of their DB room is super interesting, and not only just interesting in a way like oh that player is decent but just their skill sets like Jalen Petrie um, Jimmy Ward and Tavier Thomas is all of them are good blitzers all of them can play in the slot all of them can play in the back 
does D'Amico Ryan's kind of move a new dial that we haven't we've seen maybe glimpses of when, you know some game plans on third down does he lean into that more because now you don't have the Fred Warners of the world running from the line of scrimmage to cover guys and reading out plays right away the Dre Greenlaws Denzel Perryman is couldn't be any more different than Fred Warner look at just look at their testing numbers <laughs> but if you want to know how they play uh that's that's going to be a little bit of a difference so how aggressive is that? How aggressive are you with Will Anderson as maybe your best pass rusher as a rookie? Uh, like, I just want to see what this new tweak is with D'Amico Ryans because I think he adapted from what maybe even Robert Sala did um, uh, before him when he was in San Fran. So it shows me that, and also just his background as a player, what is his influence this year with the unit that he has right now? Because it's a unique skill set of a unit. <laughs> like, they're very uniquely built. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, just interestingly built. It's kind of a Frankenstein's monster. So how do you weaponize that? I'm excited about the potential development from the young secondary. Corey Unlin, who is the secondary coach for the Niners over the last couple of years, he came with D'Amico Ryans to be the passing game coordinator for the Texans. And if you look at the development we've seen from Niners defensive backs, they've gotten the most out of everyone over the last couple of seasons. Tayshawn Gibson was a guy they signed off the street before last year, and he played very well for them at safety. Hufanga was a fifth-round pick and I think was an all-pro last season. They signed Javarius Ward as a big money free agent as a corner. He was really good for them in that role. Lenore was a fifth rounder. Lenore was a fifth rounder that had to be thrown into duty last year. So now yep. you have the secondary that I think has some real pieces in it already. Yeah. And you have a coaching staff that I think could potentially get the most out of them. That's the at the core of why yes. I'm enthusiastic and optimistic about them. And the other thing is, and I guess we could talk about it now, my breakout guy for them is Derek Stingley. Me too. Because... Uh, they, they had last season, last season, the this Houston Texans, the Houston Texans played cover two on 34% of their third down uh, snaps last year. 34%. Uh, league average was 11%. So three times the league average. God. God. I hate when, I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it. I love you, it. You got a Ferrari yes, out there at, at, at outside corner that he is ultimate. Trace guy at that spot. What you've seen him do in college, especially as a freshman, and he's going to play cover two. And we wondered about that coming into the season. Yes, we did. How does that make sense? Now you have a defense where even if it's still very zone heavy, when they're playing quarters, they'll let you get up there and just muscle shit out of people. You look at what the way they used Charvarius Ward last year. Derek Singley is going to have a chance to challenge people this season. Yep. And can he take a big, big step? And I think that kind of speaks to the unit overall. And then if yes. you get more from Will Anderson, you get a lot from Will Anderson. If he is a transformational player in year one, the way that we've seen with a Miles Garrett or Nick Bosa, players like that drafted in that range of the draft. If that all kind of comes together, I think that's when you can start building this case for why it's yes. worth being excited about this defense. And I, I said this before about Stingley, but it's like I had him grade the same as Sauce Gardner. And I, I, I mean that I thought them both of them as top 10 corners, which is rare, like a true real deal top 10 corner getting graded that way. Your point about if, if they run quarters, if they run cover three or just man, you're going to see Derek Stingley's gifts. This guy has the traits to be an elite lockdown corner. And he showed glimpses. He was my, when I was doing the um, the awards during the season, I, the 30s awards, he was my second ranked guy in defensive player of the year for the first two votes until he got hurt. I think after week nine after sauce Gardner. And I was, I just kept making jokes. I'm like, it's the year of the corner. Um, like with them and Wolden from, uh, um, from the Seahawks. So I just think 
that it's a perfect encapsulation of what they'll do. I think of him getting unlocked is going to be amazing. I think the rest of the DBs are interesting. Uh, uh, we talked about the safeties and stuff, but the other corner spot, like they, Steven Nelson isn't bad. Like he's a no. solid starter. I want other teams to sign him. So I know we're kind of crossing between breakout player and the defense, but like just the other thing, how Will Anderson will get used, I think would be so much better in the pros than he was in college. It's almost like a college basketball player. Where you're like, you know, they're playing for the the long shot clock, and they only shoot eight shots a game. It's like, and then they get to the NBA with all this space. Watching Will Anderson go from being used as a four eye inside of the tackle, and then and don't get me wrong, he still affected the game this way. But they slanted him a ton. They did all these things, but like on pass rushing downs, you didn't get to see him just pin his ears back and go. And so I I can't wait to see Will Anderson get to do that in the NFL. And guess what he's awesome at? And I said this on we did our uh, edge rusher show with uh, Deontay, is that he's awesome on twists and games. Will Anderson, like he is a weapon as the penetrator on defensive games. Guess who likes to do that? D'Amico Ryan's. They they love getting these guys going. So ooh, that's gonna be awesome. So you know they're they're going from you know last year the 49ers had 181 quarterback hits and sacks combined. Going to a Texans team that ranked 19th in that category. So going for first and 19th. So maybe he doesn't have the toys that he had before, but I think Will Anderson's going to be interesting with this unit. That's why you draft him so high. When I said that they were going to be top 10 in DVOA on that show, that is, I think that they have a chance to be above average, like in the yeah. top half of the league. And let's see yeah. what happens. And I think but we I wanted still, to talk I, about them. And I believe that. <laughs> I, I believe they have a chance to be in the top half of the league based on all the things that we just laid out. I, it reminds me that the, the, the point you made about the basketball is very funny because it's almost like, Will Anderson's like like Paul Bancaro, where yeah. you just have this guy who it's all right in the college game it's like okay but then you actually unleash him in the in the pro game yes. and you just see what the skill set actually looks yes. like and not and like, like oh. he was obviously a good player at Duke but like yeah but he, he didn't score twenty a game like he would in the NBA that's exactly it though uh, wait it's just and that's the thing he was still effective being used as like a role player would be used in yeah. the NFL and now you get to see him highlighted and that's that's where you see the bumps up with some of these guys they get to actually get used where their gifts allow them to my x factor I probably between Will Anderson and Christian Harris Christian Harris who was a third round pick for them a linebacker last year again was hurt in going into training camp got on the field head was swimming you could see it you know is he somebody that with D'Amico Ryan's there is kind of a stabilizing force could take a big step forward in year 2 yeah, uh, my my X factor, and I I can't I didn't have a player. I just said the coaching staff. Yeah, that's I, fair. I, I, it's hard I, for me to that, figure that, out one. Me too, because they I mean they have a lot of guys, but it's not like okay, this will make or break their season. It's more like okay, is this guy going to be a building block? So I say with this team as a weird team of vets and intriguing young guys, and I don't mean weird in a bad way. They might not be good, but I want to see how they make it work because uh, I I do think this is going to be a very competent coaching staff as we talked about Ryan's and. And Slowick and the DB coach. I'm blanking on his name right now. I'm sorry. But thank you. Uh, but um, but I feel like the arrow is pointing up just the feels of this, the vibes of this franchise, obviously, with who they take. But I just want to see how they make it work. So the coaching staff is my X factor. The vibes is a very important thing to point out because the vibes are much better in Houston than they have been over the last few years. Yes. <laughs> all right. That's all we got. A chill two hours. We got to cut these down for the next do we do seven, over under? seven divisions. Oh, it's right. Over under for the Houston Texans. It's it's at six. I did under. I'll just make it quick. Uh, I think it's gonna be the number dead on. I think they're gonna go six and eleven. So that was really tough for me. I'm gonna go over. I think I they like have a it. chance to go seven and ten. Are we opposite on every single one? That's I think perfect. So. 
Go ahead and start so. the year. We I are like going to have we are going to have some fun wager type things yes. as we get into the season, so people know. So don't worry, there will be some wagers coming as we get closer to the season. That is all we got. The the rest of these cannot <laughs> be two hours long. We got to be better about that. But it's the first one. We're very excited. A lot of takes to shoot off. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate you guys sticking around for this. We will have these coming consistently over the next few weeks. We're going to do the NFC West next. That will be your way on Monday. So please be on the lookout for that. If you have not listened to the brand new revamped Prospects to Pros with Nate Tice and Dane Brugler, you can listen to that episode about the 2024 quarterbacks. It is in your feed right now. You guys did a fantastic job. It's going to be great all the way through the draft. So please go check that out and please enjoy your weekend. We'll be back on Monday with the NFC West. We'll talk to you guys soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.